Welcome, welcome to Savvy Sabs Podcast. This is episode 147 on call-in. Trump wins Iowa, Cornell West and Jill Stein speeches at the pro-Palestine rally. What else did we talk about? Uh, the Charlemagne the God segment on CNN, <laughs> basically fear-mongering people uh, <laughs> to support Joe Biden. Like, I, you, you know, this stuff just never gets old. Like, I don't even know how else to say it, except this stuff just never gets old. And we also spoke about uh, Bernie Sanders interview with Jake Tapper, where he's calling out the atrocities of the Palestinian people. But at the same time, he's still not against the U.S. sending the weapons and he's still trying to convince people to support Joe Biden. So it's all over the place, you guys. But we knew this was coming, right? (laughs) We knew this was coming. So let's go ahead and get started. And it looks like Levi, you are first. You're the first caller. So you'll just have to unmute and then we'll be able to hear you. Hey, this Abby. Hello, Levi. How are you? <laughs> Long time no see. Um, good, thanks. I was just uh, driving back through thick rain and got to the grocery store and I was enjoying your show. I didn't get to catch the bit with um, Bernie, but... I don't think I'm missing out there. I don't, you know, that does my head in. But um, I caught you around the time with Charlemagne. And yeah, really a great show. And I really love the way that you were critiquing Charlemagne. It just makes me um, so frustrated to see them uh, be able to say something at some certain point and then we, you know, backtrack uh, that way, uh, try and take everyone with them. And it's just really, really cathartic to hear your, see that you're doing so well with your show and growing and, uh, to hear you speaking out so clearly. Uh, I just wish you, your, your voice was on that show. You know, I wish you could just cut into their feed and there you are on the corner and just calling them out on all of their, uh, their BS. And it would be, uh, it would be like ultimate catharsis, but it is really good. Good to see you doing well. Good to hear you critiquing uh, strong critiques. And, uh, you know, I, I was kind of annoyed at Cornell West uh, with the whole, you know, st- you know, strategic approach that he was taking. You know, I was agreeing with uh, CJ and Nick in, in some regards that, that that was frustrating. And uh, I think uh, it was really great to see him, uh, to hear him, in this moment, you know, saying what he's been saying the whole time, but just the gravity behind it because of the moment of, of this genocide, at least, uh, it, it just rings out. It's like, hey, man, this is, this is something talking about for a long time, but everyone's suddenly tuned in and you can feel the power of the speech is amplified by the fact that everyone's there and on the same page. So that's, that's great. Um, and I just wanted to say I really agree with Eric as well. Uh, well while you were taking your break, he was pointing out that be, he wished that uh, there was more exploration of the kind of economics behind all of this. And he wished that Cornell would sort of explore like why, uh, why the military industrial complex is doing what it's doing, why these figures are standing, you know, for genocide, etc. So I agree. I think there's a lot of the audience that's grown up enough that would like to like gain to the knee agree with that stuff and they could handle like that Cornell was dropping all those names 
not just blinking, but listing the rest of the names was fantastic. And if he could just like take this moment to keep educating people further about these relationships and exactly, you know, how, how money is affecting, uh, what cash transfers are happening, what the relationships are, just using it as a teachable moment. I think, uh, that would be fantastic. So anyway, I'll get out of the way. I just wanted to say thank you for getting me through a rainy ride home and, and, uh, congratulations on the show and I'll, I'll get, I'll duck out. Thank you. Thank you so much, uh, Levi. Yeah, I know. Um, in the beginning, I, I felt the same way. I was just like, come on, Dr. West, like you need to call these people out, you know, like that kind of thing. Um, you need to be a little bit more forceful. And as we've seen, like over time, he has become more forceful with uh, his rhetoric. Like he, he's not just calling out Joe Biden, but also calling out uh, uh, Anthony Blinken as well. But yeah, I, I totally hear you. Like that was part of my frustration as well in the beginning. I'm like, you got to call these people out and call them out by name and you can't be nice to them, you know? And I think, I really think uh, the genocide that's happening in Gaza, I think that's part of what really, you know, I, I, I for, for, and this is the thing that I, I really uh, am, am heavily pissed off with Bernie Sanders about. I mean, I'm pissed off at Bernie Sanders about other things as well. Don't get me wrong. But for Bernie Sanders to still sit up there and carry weight for Joe Biden, and this guy is complicit in a genocide, that right there goes to show you again that there's nothing that Joe Biden can do that will make Bernie Sanders you know, call his ass out by name. And I mean, and I, when I say call him out, I don't mean we need the president to do this. That's not, no. I'm talking about do what Cornell West did. Call Joe Biden a fucking war criminal. Because the thing is, is this. If Donald Trump were the president right now, and this were happening under Donald Trump, Bernie Sanders and company would have no problem calling Donald Trump a warmonger. They would have no problem calling him a war criminal. But because it's a member of the Democratic Party, it's like all bets are off. We got to be careful how we talk about Joe Biden. And this is why I told you guys before, this just goes to show you that along the way, even if Bernie Sanders would have won, which, like I said, they weren't going to let him anyway. But even if he would have won, it would have never gotten to the point where Bernie Sanders would have pushed back on Democrat establishment, even when it came to his own platform. He would have came to the, the establishment because just like Charlemagne the God, Bernie Sanders also wants to continue to main, maintain access in those circles. So the thing is, that goes to show you that just because a candidate has a grassroots campaign doesn't mean they can't sell out. Now, for the longest time, we sat back and we watched Kyle Kalinske, Majority Report, you know, the, the, the TYT crowd make excuses for the squad for a long time. Make excuse where the rest of us were already calling this shit out because we saw it for what it was. They were trying to run cover for them because that was their bread and butter. You know, so then what do they do? Let's pivot towards, oh, Joe Biden's doing a great job and da 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 And I don't know what they're going to do now 
Because now with the genocide and shit that's happening, there's no way. You can't sit up there and call yourself a progressive and you're still sitting up there defending Joe Biden while he's he's basically aiding a, gen, a genocide. You can't do it. So I don't know what these people are going to do, but my message has stayed the same. Sabi, I will go for a moment. I just want to say uh, I have an uh, ex-co-worker from, uh, from the, uh, about 15 years ago now. Anyway, he's on my Facebook and one of those, lip, those little lib people and just he posted something. There was an, an Atlantic uh, article. It was about, it was one of those pieces that's trying to convince everyone that basically what they're feeling in their own lives isn't true. Don't believe your own lying lives. You know, the economy's bad. And uh, I just put uh, genocide. As was the, I was the first person to like respond to his article, and that just kind of killed it. He, <laughs> he didn't like respond, and no one else said anything. But I just felt like it's kind of sick that people can like make that division between domestic and foreign policy, which is what the Charlemagne, you know, that the idea that you kind of sidestep the genocide and just be like, you know, yeah, but it's about democracy. What's about? Uh, look at what he's doing for the bread and butter or look at some other thing. It's like, no, genocide trumps everything. Uh, right. Right. And I, I don't understand the, the type of people that, um, like I love, I was there fully immersed in Bernie for 2016 and arguing online and making all these points, uh, uh, with everyone to the best of my ability. And then I get in 2020, I sort of threw my hands up. I was like, this arguing online stuff is not worth it, but I'll, I'm still following and then, you know, hoping, but, uh, yeah, I, I don't understand why people can't let go when, if the person doesn't follow through or if they change the, I don't understand why, why it's still, someone's still appealing. It's like, no, it's not, it's not Bernie. Yes, I invested him with all of this emotional, uh, you know, I felt good about him, but as soon as he started doing things that did not like line up, like even just the whole 2020 campaign, it was already like a whole different vibe, but still I was, he was the best. But to, to not be able to like get off of um, personalities um, mm-hmm. like quick, I think is a part. I don't know, it shows like a lack of critical thinking and uh, some kind of emotional need. I think in people to to sort of hold on to someone, and it's it's kind of weird. I'm not exactly sure what that's all about, but um, I, I mean, I get I got I get what it feels like to be attached, but I don't understand why you can't detach once you once you see like hang on. Not doing, he's not doing what he said anymore. But I'll st- I'll stop there. I let that next person speak. But I'm sure you have something to say about that. Yeah, I mean, a lot of it is again like people just clinging on to personalities, man. Clinging on to personalities, and a lot of people saw Bernie Sanders as a legitimate hero, like they really did. Um, and it's it's sad. And this is why I think it's important not to get caught up in the personalities because anybody can disappoint you. And uh, actually, if you think about it, a lot of the, you know, uh, left, you know, commentary, like some of it is people are following someone because of they, they believe what they say. And some of it is people just following personalities, to be honest with you. So, uh, yeah. Okay, I'm going to go to Ashura.
Okay, Ashura, you are on the mic. What's going on? Uh, I'm good, Sabrina. Uh, did you do any New Year's resolution? Um, I did. It's kind of personal, but okay. You 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 might want to add one. Stop apologizing when you call somebody out. Hmm. Because you, you tend to call out people and say, I apologize. When you call them uh, Charming the God, the coon, I'm like, and then, then you said, please don't say apologize. Please don't say you apologize. I apologize because I'm like, God damn it. <laughs> okay, that's a good one, sure. I could think about that. Yeah. Uh. So I'm going to start with Cornell West because I got two shorts to put after it. Uh, Cornell, Cornell West, he needs to put more wood in that fire. Uh, he needs to call out. Well, I didn't see, I didn't listen if he called out Joe Biden specifically, but he needs to bring out Joe Biden's nicknames over the years. Crime Bill Joe, Genocide Joe, and whatever basically. At this point, I'm like, how many wars has Joe Biden gotten you into? Well, I mean, he did basically call Biden a war criminal. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I mean, yeah, but Joe, Joe Biden could just wear that shit like, like a fucking badge. Is he said it? I, I wouldn't. I don't think that's something you would wear as a badge, in my opinion. I mean, he, he Joe Biden said there's nothing wrong with being a Zionist. Yeah, I, I think you're talking about two different things. No, no, because um, they want West to do. Well, I, I, I want to just call him up for what it is. Like, even if you call him a warmonger, he knows he's a warmonger. He didn't but call him a warmonger. He called him a war criminal. Those are two different things. Okay. I guess I just feel like people have just gotten into this mode of just like, like whatever's done is is we got to complain about it and and pick it apart. I mean, I, I would put it to you this way: if you got to complain about what a candidate like Wester Stein or what what they're doing or saying, then fine, you know, make your complaint, but then make it clear what the alternative is. What are you, what are you asking them to do? What's, what's your ask? Yeah. I'm not asking him to do it. I'm just saying he could just call him a genocider. That's all I'm saying. Okay. Well, I think he did. I, I think, uh, sure. I think even if he would have said that, I think you would still complain. I think that's. Okay. Um, by the way, um, I got the two shorts I want you to listen to. And tell me if this this one seems familiar to you. Uh, this is from the uh, LCB. This is a caller that's going to call in and watch what he fucking says and tell me if you ever heard this one before. This country is on a slippery slope, I'm afraid. The white British is in decline and uh, the ethnic minorities are in the ascendancy. Okay, and well, what, what's, the, what's the problem? If, if that were true... It is true. Why, no, no, no. It's, why it's, is, not, it's, not, it's not if it's true. It is true. Okay. What is the no, problem? No, no, no. It's not a problem for me. Uh, this, this, this was once a great, great country. And why will it be less great if there are fewer white people in it? Um, because it will be a Muslim country. And but that's a fact. I'm talking about multiculturalism here. I'm not talking about us becoming a Muslim country. I'm talking about different people from different cultures living side by side. What's your issue with that? Can't live side by side because because multiculturalism doesn't work and it won't work. And that's how the human race is. This country is almost. Okay, that was like the first one. So what do you thought about that and see if that's not 
a bit familiar to you. So what show was that? Uh, it's from the LBO. I believe it's quite from Britain. I've been listening oh. to it li- lately. Um, I mean, it sounds like to me, it just sounds like, you know, uh, a, a white person not wanting to be around people who aren't white. Yeah, and it's fear-mongering about um, how um, this country is going to be Muslim country. I'm like, then I look at the comments, and somebody said the country of UK is 80% white, 7% Asian, 3% black. And I'm like, wait, what? I, I, I thought, in norm- well, it's in Britain, so normally the black the black number is probably higher than the Asian number in America. So to me, I was like, why is he complaining about multiculturalism? Just say he doesn't, he doesn't like Muslims and be done with it. Because the person itself, the female that uh, the female host, she was like basically God smacked of the bullshit he was saying. So, first of all, uh, one thing I do want to mention because I see I, I've I, I've been noticing people have been doing this a lot. So, Muslim isn't a race, and I I, I want people to understand like. Someone who is a Muslim practices Islam, right? Just like someone who is a Christian practices Christianity. But Muslim isn't a race. You have black Muslims, you have white Muslims, like you have. So that's that's one thing. But the way that Kohler was referring to it, and I'm surprised the host didn't push back on that. The Kohler... Okay, the caller was basically referring to Muslim people as though they are a separate race of people. They're not a race of people. Muslim isn't a race. So that, but that call, that's a common misconception. I used to hear people, because I used to live in the South. I used to, I know when I lived in South Carolina, people would make that same statement. People would get mad when I would correct them. But you have to educate people. And so I used to correct them and tell people that, like, Muslim is not a race. That's how uneducated this country is. It is true. Because you can go to, if you go to other countries and you, people wonder why, why is it that kids in China or kids in South Korea, why is it that they tend to do better in education than American kids? Because they they are basically forced to take advanced courses in this country you are not. In some of those other countries, these kids go to school six days a week, not five. Things like that. So America is a very, we're uneducated in this country. We just are. And it, it, that's why people make those kind of comments when they say things like, oh, these Muslim these Muslim uh, 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 people and the, the Muslim race, and th- that's not an ethnicity. That's how dumb people are in this country. It's the Islamophobia that's going around. The fear of the brown person. You could have basically take away Muslim it's, and say black. Islam is a religion. It's not a race of people. So again, like I said, there are black Muslims, there are white Muslims, there are, it's not just people who are from an Arab country. 
perfect example, Louis Farrakhan. So this is this is why, you know, this is why when people bring up the issue of white supremacy, this is why I keep telling people at the end of the day, it's not even just when we talk about white supremacy, it's not just about white people, etc. It's also the idea of the wasp, white, Christian, Anglo-Saxon, Protestant. That's what, that's what this country was founded on. If you think about the United States, you think about when the pilgrims settled here. Remember, one of the reasons they were leaving England was because they wanted, they were experiencing religious persecution. So they wanted to be able to practice Protestant religion, right? So think about how this country went from being, well, one, it was all like North America, occupied predominantly by the indigenous people. And it flipped from that to a white Anglo-Saxon Protestant country. So that all of that can be a part of white supremacy. So anything outside of the wasp ideology is given a side eye. That's just the reality. Hello? Oh, okay. I thought I was thinking you were going to say something else about it. Uh, and this is the second short. Uh, you should watch the uh, PBD podcast. Um, watch the three-hour video with Bassam Youssef because he debates this one motherfucker, this Jewish motherfucker. I don't know if he's left or right, but he, he says some bullshit. And he's normally on the Joe Rogan show, but apparently he's on the, he's a co-host of the PBD podcast, but this guy is dumb as fuck. And I've noticed this. A lot of these uh, white people, they get COVID right. They get fucking Ukraine white. They get the, the wars right, but the moment you go with Palestine, all of a sudden, they can't fucking get that shit right. So there's a bunch of shorts with Bassem Youssef. You should, I'm going to just play one of them. I'm saying, how can we uplift the poor countries in the Middle East? How can Remove we turn... Remove blockade. That's number one. No, 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 no. Remove I said the, the Middle East, funny guy. Remove the blockade. I said the Middle East. Gaza had the opportunity to invest billions of dollars into infrastructure. In what? Into infrastructure, Ow. but they built tunnels and bombs. But my question is, no, no. I, I basically, here's no, my here. You're here, wrong. You're wrong. Gaza has not built tunnels and you're bombs. You're wrong. You're wrong. What you're missing here is Gaza since 2006 is under blockade, and even the medicine, even the water, even the electricity is controlled by Israel. They don't have. I'm open. not asking you about Gaza. I'm asking you about no, the I'm, Middle I'm, East. I'm, 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 no, you I'm, want to focus on Gaza and then you want to you, turn you, it back you, on Israel. I'm asking you specifically. I'm Let's not why? talk about Israel if that will make you I'm, a little I'm, bit I'm, nervous listen, at the I'm, beginning until the end. You are looking at those people as lesser people who have made bad choices and because they are poor, they are okay to be f***ing bombed by Israel. I'm saying how can... Now, there's a clip. I probably should have played that one instead. There's a clip where he brings up he tries to be the numbers guy and he brings up the fact that uh gazans were having sex so much that israel this whole genocide shit about israel doesn't exist it's some bullshit and he says well the population went from seven hundred thousand to two million and basim yusuf basically countered with um what's what's the what, what's the what's the thing behind those numbers 
He's like, what are you talking about? I'm giving you the numbers. But then he brings up where he gets his fucking numbers. He gets his news from New York Times, Fox News, uh, liberal networks. And then when when uh, Bassam basically tells him that the 700, the, the people of Palestine, no, the people of Gaza, their number is 700,000. If it went from 2 million something, those people were displaced from other places in Israel and shoved right into Gaza. So that's why they basically, the, the numbers went up. It was, they, it went up because they were having sex like crazy. And that's when he, that's because you know what he, that talking point also comes from RFK junior too. He actually makes that same talking point. He says, well, the population has increased. Now let's do something called math. This is going to show you how to, you know, you can't be this damn dumb. Okay. If you have a town that all of a sudden they have 50, let's say 50% of the population is white and 50% of the population is black. 10 years later, all of a sudden, you know, let's say the black population has increased from 50% to 60%. That still doesn't mean that you didn't kill a lot of the black people in the town. What that could mean, though, is that more people, more black people came to reside there. So obviously, if Israel is still pushing people out of the West Bank and still dispelling Palestinians from Israel and putting them into Gaza, obviously the population is then going to increase even though you killed a lot of them. Yeah, because that one adding it's called you subtract and then you add. Yeah, because that's the point he was explaining to him. Like you didn't think they fucking killed a couple of them because Israel kills people in Gaza on a daily basis just to whittle the number down. Right, but the thing is, notice who they won't bring on to have these discussions. The people who can really debunk it. This is why. RFK Jr. won't have this conversation with Max Blumenthal because he knows that Max Blumenthal has been to Gaza. He wrote a whole damn book about it. Him and Dan Cohen made a documentary about it. He knows that Max Blumenthal has a lot of information. That's why RFK Jr. would have that conversation on breaking points with Crystal Ball, but he's not going to have it with Max Blumenthal. Crystal Ball ain't been to Gaza. There's still a picture floating around on Twitter of Crystal Ball and her ex-husband, who was her husband at the time, of them donating money to Israel. Okay? That picture still resurfaces every now and then on Twitter. So that's why he won't have that conversation with him. That's why he won't have that conversation with Miko Palid. And Miko Palid is Israeli. But Miko Palid knows exactly what the IDF has been doing. Or and Gideon this, Levy. And exact and this is why his campaign has been safeguarding him against having the conversation with those people because they know if he were to have that debate with mm. Max Blumenthal, his campaign would be done. They know that. That's why they're keeping him away. This is why they escorted Ray McGovern away from his event. Ray McGovern was at RFK Jr.'s event. He asked about the Palestinian issue. 
Stephanie Spear, the same woman who told Max Blumenthal it's not going to happen. You see her in the video. I actually might have to cover this on Thursday. You see her in the video blocking him, telling him that he can't attend the event. Ray McGovern. Now, RFK Jr. say he want to hit back at the CIA. He wants to change the CIA. You got someone like Ray McGovern, who was a former CIA uh, agent. This guy was a whistleblower. If you really serious about dismantling the CIA, why would you not want Ray McGovern at your event? Someone who was courageous enough to be a whistleblower against the CIA because that motherfucker ain't serious about dismantling the CIA. That's why. Yeah. Cause it's, it's, it's really ridiculous. It's really funny how this, um, this pastime thing is making <laughs> it's unmasking a lot of people you didn't think were a bunch of fucking shitty people. They they got they got everything right, but the Palestine and Israel shit that's like it's religious or it's um it, it, they're bad Arabs. And there was a point like there were there are multiple shorts of this, and there's a point where he basically brings up the Arabs. He come he constantly brings up the Arabs, and Bassam tells him, "Why are you feeling on the Arabs like that?" Like, there's a point, like, do you want to kill all Arabs? He's like, I, I didn't say that. No, just fucking say it, man. Just kill all the Arabs. Mm-hmm. Right. And, uh, oh, fuck. I don't know if you saw this one. Oh, I, I, don't, I don't think I can find it. Fuck it. I can't find it. There's a video I, I saw on um, uh, a short. It's in Canada. And this this Canadian guy, basically, they were, they, they were with a group of people who were telling, like, oh, they need to free the hostages. And he said, and they're chanting, free the hostages. He says, guess what? I got a new chant for you. Kill all, kill all Palestinian kids. Kill all, and you see a lot of people, a bunch of these Zionists, they want to say that shit. They can't fucking say it because they're on camera. You can see the uncomfortableness. And I'm like, is this dude literally saying kill all people? Or is he just, you know, using dark humor? And then I realized, oh shit, people in the comment section, no, he's using dark humor. And it's like, this is how you basically uh, call out these fucking Zionists. Like, you basically make them say what they don't want to say. Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, you're you're right. Yeah, people, sometimes people expose themselves, um, Ashura. I think the big thing to always come back to when, when you're talking about uh, Palestine and Israel is just the power differential. You know the, the Israelis. You know they they have the Israeli government has all the power in that situation, and basically, they seem to have every weapon we can produce at their disposal. <laughs> you know, it's like how many tanks does does Hamas have? You know, how many fighter jets does Gaza have? You know, the the, the power differential really couldn't be more stark. And so, with that power comes responsibility. And so it becomes a pretty easy argument when you look at it that way about who's really responsible for what's going on in Gaza. I think it's also important to um, take these discussions back to some type of historical perspective. And the reality is before 1948, which incidentally was the same time that um, apartheid was officially started in South Africa, there were people living in what was designated on the maps as Palestine. You can't move past the fact that Israel was created in a situation where people already lived and there was already a society and this and that, 
And so when you factor things forward to the current, you still can't escape the way a thing was born. And, you know, Israel, no matter what you want to say, is a settler colonialist project. And it was undergirded by the efforts of the British and the United States and, you know, Western Europe and A, B and C. And it is what it is. You know, Gaza is not a separate state. It is not a separate nation. It is a, a group of displaced people who have been forced to the edge, you know, of genocide. They have been marginalized and there is just no way to escape that in discourse. There is no way to deal with October 7th without dealing appreciably with the times and the dates and events and incidents before October 7th. October 7th didn't drop out of nowhere. It is the end result of a whole lot of oppressive activity and occupation. And for me, all that we're seeing is people are trying to fight for a narrative. And at this point, they're trying to tell you, you don't see what you see. And if you draw the conclusions that seem reasonable to, to you, it's all twisted. That's crazy. And there is no way you can put that type of spin on what people are seeing in real time. 20 plus thousand people, the majority of which are women and children, have been killed. There is no comparison to October 7th. And you cannot use Hamas as a justification for killing all of these people. That's like saying, ooh, we know there's a needle in the haystack and we're going to burn down the whole haystack until we find that one needle. Knowing so the chances the are you would have to destroy the entire haystack to find that needle. It's a setup. And we just, but for in the broadest stroke, what it <clears> says to me is, you know, these settler colonialist projects, these imperialist projects are just rooted in something that is so profound that I just, I don't understand how we change it. I don't understand how we build and capture and harness the momentum to really break this system down because it will be revolutionary. And I don't know if people really understand that that's what it is going to take. It's going to take some level of revolutionary action. Otherwise, we keep, you know, spiraling down both in the UK, in the United States, all of these, you know, Western civilizations that are rooted in a type of white supremacy are winding down in terms of the world stage and they're not handling it well. It's just, you know, they refuse to see that reality. Not, not to mention also, but um, the other thing is too, that same, per, that same um, analysis that people give in reference to supporting what Israel was doing, when you hear people say, well, Hamas killed all these people on October 7th, 1,200 people, and they changed the number multiple times. 1,200 people and they have the hostages and they use that as the excuse for Israel 
to kill as many people as they have in Gaza. To that same point, that's the same narrative that was presented in reference to 9-11. The same narrative was that everybody, even the people who were not complicit, have to suffer because of what the U.S. government has been doing to these Arab countries. And if you read, like, remember, again, we talked about Osama bin Laden's manifesto had resurfaced again. It resurfaced on TikTok. And there were all these younger people, a lot of Gen Zers, and they were like, I just read Osama bin Laden's uh, letter to America. And now I understand why they did what they did. They were saying now they understand why 9-11 happened. Now, here's the thing. To that same point, that's the same excuse that bin Laden used for 9-11. Because of what the U.S. government did to people in his particular country, that was an excuse to go after everybody. All of the American people are problematic. We don't care if they were a part of the government or if they dropped those bombs at all. So you see what I'm saying? That's why that type of rhetoric is so dangerous. So do you think South Africa will win? I think I don't think they're going to win, but I think when, when they come out of this, Israel is going to be way more damaged than it is. Whether they win or not, I don't think is going to matter in reference to Israel's reputation. So you're right to that point, because the thing is, Israel's reputation is ruined. Yeah, because they're saying that the, some, the, the ICJ could basically order them to do something and they could just not do it. And uh, you got the fight with the Houthis going around. I'm not, I don't know what the hell's going on with the Houthis. Like, I get one side tell me, no, the Houthis are, are winning. And then I, I did not hear stories saying they're not winning. They're getting destroyed by American soldiers. So I don't know which one is real when it comes to that story. Because it seems to me with, with the Houthis, uh, they're basically trying, they're in the Red Sea. And I'm like, the Red Sea is their domain. It's their fucking waters. So right. why are you... Why are you pushing boats? Why are you pushing boats in their fucking waters? If if it was America or Canada, they would fucking blow you out the out of the water. But it's okay to go into a brown Muslim country, brown brown person or or a black country. You can go into their waters and you expect nothing because well you're you're basically a European, so therefore they ain't gonna ain't gonna do shit. But they fucking said no, no fuck this shit, man. We're we're stopping these tankers. Right, because they don't feel the U.S. government wants to police the world anyway. They don't feel that these other countries are important. Yeah. And uh, as for Bernie, what what the fuck? Why is Bernie not taking off his mask already? Just wear a badge to say you're fucking a Zionist. Just wear, wear a Nazi badge like that damn fucking star bullshit they, they were at the <laughs> at the courts. What the Palestinian? No, 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 not the courts. Uh, the UN, when the when when the Zionists wear all those Nazi badges, and they said, "Oh man, remember, remember, uh, uh, uh re- remember the Holocaust." I'm like, bro, how long are you gonna fucking jerk people off about the Holocaust? I mean, I think it, it it's you know it's all about narrative management in the, in the theater of of the whole thing, the the political theater. And so, you know, Bernie and the squad, you know, their role is to be 
the the fake left. Their role is, you know, they're the controlled opposition. And so, you know, that's that's their role in this play. And you have, you know, Biden and his crew doing ultra Zionists and you have the Republicans over there doing their thing. And, mm-hmm. and the point of it is to have all this fighting is is within that Overton window. It's it's all about the things that are per- permissible to fight with. And you notice what we're, you know, what what doesn't get talked about in the mainstream, right? The real reasons for this, the um, you know, the 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 military industrial complex money, you know, all the corruption, all the you know how everything just runs on money, and and no one ever talks about the billionaires that shouldn't even exist as billionaires. So I, I think it's important to remember that it, it's it's a play, it's 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 theater, it's their role. And so, you know, Bernie is just going to keep playing his role because he wants to, to stay in that club. And yep. you know, kind of our job out, out here and, in, in, you know, Dr. West and Dr. Stein's job is to is to break through that and, you know, and hopefully say, you know, here are the real causes and the real issues. And, yeah, you're never going to get that from Bernie. He's <laughs> he's shown us that. Well, he's a racist Zionist himself. Um, I was basically uh, buying a shawarma and I was talking to these uh, guys from Syria and they, we were talking about it and it was question. I was asking them like, what do you think uh, Europeans attack Africa and basically uh, the Middle East so much? Like it's brown people. Yes. But why do you think they attack him? He says, well, it's because, uh, you know, it's, it's imperialism. It's uh, it, it, they, they have to control the land. It's about resources and I tell them as I'm talking with them, I'm like, do you not think the reason why they broke, they they split Africa into multiple these little multiple little countries and, and and the Middle East is because that plot of land is probably bigger if you basically go from one European European country by the next that they would fucking outnumber them. I know that Africa is the largest continent. Yeah, if you pit if you pit Africa, you don't mention the countries. You put it against the U.S. You put it against Europe, any country, other countries, France. Like it still dwarfs those countries. And if you pit the Middle East the same way, they still they still fuck them. Right. Because the thing is, I don't, I don't know if I mentioned this to you guys before, but I learned about this when I was in middle school. For the longest time, and I think some history books still have it this way. A lot of times, if you look at a map. I would say go back and look at a map, at least from like the 90s. Africa is made to look smaller than Europe on purpose. Africa is larger than Europe. But if you look at a lot of maps, especially like when I was growing up, my teacher pointed this out to us. If you look at a lot of maps, Africa is made smaller on the map and it looks like Europe is actually larger than Africa. That was actually a racist policy. That was another thing that has been done to make a black, you know, continent. Yeah. To make it appear to be less significant. Just like a lot of times when you learned about Africa in history class, they make it seem like Africa is this, this continent that you'll go to when everybody's running around with no clothes on and, <laughs> everybody's poor and it's a primitive place and there are parts of africa that are like that 
but there's also mega cities in Africa, just like there are in the United States. There's also parts of Africa that are very much industrialized. You know, there's a lot of resources in Africa. Africa is a rich continent, but people steal their resources. So the thing is, is that once again, this is why it's important to really know your history and study a lot of these things. Because again, even in your, your school textbooks, and my history teacher who taught us this when we were in middle school, she's Af she was African-American. Nobody had told us that before. And all these teachers are opening up these textbooks and they're teaching, they're showing their students these maps and things like that. And like, that's the perception that you get if you don't know any better. And this is why we have to educate ourselves beyond the classroom, because the classroom has a curriculum that is approved by a school board and the superintendent. And that curriculum favors a white supremacist ideology. And that's what a lot of people don't understand. No, they're not going to blatantly use racist language in your history books, but they'll do other things like what I just told you about making one appear to be less than and insignificant when compared to the other. It's also why they don't tell you the truth about the history about the Black Panthers. That's why they don't tell you about the truth about what Fred Hampton and them were actually doing. That's why they describe them as a Black militant group. They don't tell you how they were doing mutual aid. They started the free breakfast program. And you have all these schools all across the country that offer free breakfast to <clears> students <throat> And a lot of Americans, because people are just uneducated in this country, don't even know that that started with the Black Panthers in the first damn place. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm also going to bring up the MLK myth. I didn't get to see it, but just to, I've seen more. Of the um, just before we move on with, with the mapping, is that there's there, there's a projection like like when you make maps that like the the Earth is a sphere. And you're projecting that onto a flat surface. And so basically what happens is when you do that and you do that kind of pro projection, you kind of have to pick what part of the globe you're, you're choosing to like to center on. And that part ends up looking larger and the other parts end up looking smaller. So of course, all the map makers were from the north, right? The above the equator. But, and so they t they would pick that part and Europe would be, you know, the center of the world for them. And then because that was the center point of the projection, then the, the parts in the global south look smaller and end up looking, you know, up smaller than what they really are. And so it, it kind of it comes from that, too, like who's making the maps and and where are they focusing on? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um... Sorry. Yeah. Sorry, Sherry. Go ahead. When I was talking about the MLK myth, I didn't see that portion, but I've seen what looks like a bunch of people say MLK would be a Democrat, MLK would be a Republican, MLK was pro, pro not pro Palestinian, he was pro Israel. Although I did see that tweet where he was basically praising Israel, but I guess later in life he basically realized he had to turn around because him and Malcolm X were at a crossroads. But I heard that they they basically patched things up, and you got Israel. I think it was yesterday when Nick and CJ won the Jimmy Dore show. You got Israel literally basically quoting MLK. Yeah, the th yeah. We I, I talked about some of that. I also talked about the fact that um yeah, you know, MLK, there were all these Zionist accounts saying MLK was a Zionist, and you know, and I'll say this again. These people have some nerve. Michael Rappaport 
and all these other mofos, they have some fucking nerve to sit up there to try to throw MLK at black people and basically say, you should be supporting Israel because of what MLK said. First of all, that was a long damn time ago. And APAC and other, like the Israeli lobby did not have the power that they have today that they had back then. Second of all, they leave out the fact how MLK's position had changed. And that's what I showed tonight. They leave that part out. And third, MLK was not a Zionist. In fact, Mark Lamont Hill, if you guys want to see a longer discussion about this, Mark Lamont Hill actually <clears throat> talked about this on his uh, YouTube channel recently. I think it's like maybe one day old, um, where he covered this, where he actually told Michael Rappaport, he said, I challenge you to a debate because he told him, he said, MLK was not a fucking, was not a Zionist. Well, so obviously Michael Rappaport did not show up for a debate, but what ML, um, what Mark Lamont Hill said on his show, Mark Lamont Hill basically just showed everybody with receipts about the other things that MLK said, which they are purposely leaving out. Again, this is another thing that Zionism does. They constantly lie. They constantly lie. They create their own narrative, and this is what they push forward. Now, yeah. think about what I just told you about the history books, because I would not be surprised if some of them were involved in writing some of these damn history books. Yeah, I don't know why they always bring them up. They always bring them up like uh, to, to, to basically show I'm okay. So, oh, he's pro Israel. this. Okay, well, what about Malcolm X? Why don't you bring him up? Was he pro Israel? They don't want to bring him up. No, is what MLK was basically saying is that at that point in time, for Israel to protect the borders that they already had, right? MLK did not agree with Israel pushing the Palestinian people out. And they purposely are not sharing the quote during the interview that MLK had when he said that Israel needed to give up the part of the territory so that you would not have the animosity from the Arab people. Now, I would have worded that differently myself. Uh, obviously, Malcolm X was much more, you know, uh, much more, I, I would say, further left than uh, Martin Luther King was. But just pay attention to how things work, uh, particularly in this country. You notice we have an MLK day, right? We don't yeah. have a Malcolm X day. Oh, they're not going to give you that one. We don't have a Black Panthers day. See, that would destroy their narrative. They don't want us to celebrate revolutionaries. They don't want us to celebrate that kind of stuff. They want us to celebrate the people, mm -hmm. like Dr. Sheba said, they pick your heroes for you. The people that they feel are just status quo enough that we'll let them celebrate this person. We'll pick this hero for them. And that's how you don't hear about the people like the Huey P. Newtons. This is how you don't hear about uh, people like Kwame Ture. I mean, they didn't teach us about Kwame Ture when I was in school. That's Those are something I had to learn on my own. So that's what I'm saying. They purposely leave out the what they would call the radical revolutionary people. Or if they do discuss them, Make they do so in a negative way.
I've done this thing that um, that MLK basically got more radical um, later in his in his life, and you know, I it, I get the sense that he got very impatient with with the uh, the, the lack of progress. You know, I think I saw a quote recently saying that you know, despite the voting rights in the civil rights bills, that you still had all these. You know, Black people, you know, in in the ghetto, still still suffering, and you know, I I, I think he even be, became more more open to to the concept of not so peaceful resistance. Um, yeah, but, he, right. yeah, I'm sorry. To, Towards the end, he came back and he said maybe being nonviolent wasn't necessarily a good idea. Because yeah, that I was after. Because couldn't have that, been me. That was after. Um, um, I think. Um, X criticized him. He said, you could have basically done two things at the same time. Right. It couldn't have been me because I would have been like, look, Martin, here's the deal. We went out there in March and we were protesting peacefully and we're just supposed to stand there while the cops like sick dogs on us and beat us in the head and shit like that and you want us to go out there and do it again but we're not allowed to fight back? I'd be like, no, fuck that. I'm marching with Malcolm. Yeah. And uh, as for the the, the thing with the uh, <laughs> MSNBC still uh, pushing this Trump shit, like they, they're coping hard, like they're coping hard. They they really think they can do whatever they can. Like Trump won the Iowa thing. I'm like at this point, Vivek bowed out. Trump called him out, called him <laughs> called him a fucking snake. I don't know if Trump was listening to to uh, Doctor Shiva, but he called him a fucking snake. And at this point, Vivek was saying, "Oh man, just vote for me if you want me to save Trump." I'm like, dude, I thought you were trying to be the VP. That's not how it works. Your, your boy's going to sniff you out, and he's going to call you out. And you know Trump. You don't out-Trump Trump. He's going he's, he's gonna to fucking talk shit about you. And so now I heard uh, he's bowed out. Christie's bowed out. And then people are, are vying for Nikki Haley. Nikki Haley's done. And I don't know why people are still losing their shit right now talking about Trump. How about you just talk about Biden on MSNBC, CNN? Because when you bring up Trump and all these other shit, you're fearmongering over the fact that his base is not leaving him. And he has a base and Joe Biden has nobody. And you can say whatever you say whatever you about Trump. And I don't support Trump, but Trump has a base of people. Like you said, they're spending so much time focusing on him. Shouldn't you be focusing on the guy who doesn't have a base? Yep. I mean, <laughs> I mean shouldn't you talk about like how people are not making ends meet? I did you hear the thing about um CJ did this 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 the video about how David Pacman, your guy <laughs> in wherever you live, he basically got a call and somebody was giving him the work the work down about how things are not going good for him or everybody else. And David Pacman just straight up lies. Oh, what do you mean the economy's not doing well? The economy's doing great. What do you mean? What are you talking about inflation? Inflation, there's no inflation. Joe Biden has done the best job ever. It was some bullshit. I'm like that, that's some coping shit, or he is coping, or he's fucking lying. So again, you guys got to remember, David Pakman is corporate. David Pakman is not independent media. He used to be back in the day, but how do you guys think he get to keep all those sponsorships? Yeah, so just a- FYI, that's why he switched from being a Bernie supporter to then a Warren supporter to then a Biden supporter. David Pakman sold out. He saw that he could make more money if he just went along with the the central centrist Democrats. 
Yeah. Just like Roland Martin. That's why Mo- Roland Martin also, that's why he makes so much. Those, those people, I don't even, I don't pay them much attention because it's just, you can see it for what it really is. So David Pakman realized it was easier for him just to take that damn money and just sell out. And that's what he did. Yeah. And as for Charlemagne, I'm like, bro, didn't you say something else last week? And now you turn around and you're trying to bullshit me saying, oh, no, we, we got to vote for Biden now. Charlemagne got a phone call. Yeah, I'm like, yo, I was calling him Charlemagne the Coon, Charlemagne the Fraud, whichever one sticks. Because this this dude ain't real. Mm-hmm. And then you got the other you got the other three two women be- beside him. Like Angela Rye, I can't stand her. Abby Martin, mm-hmm. she said some dumb shit. I forgot what she said. But then well yeah, it's about the Kamala shit. shit. This is like well, 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 what what are you talking Martin. about? No, no, Abby Martin. Huh? What? Abby Phillips, you mean? The oh, one no, that... so sorry, Abby Phillips. I, I said Abby Martin. Sorry, Abby Phillips. I was like, they were talking about Kamala. I'm like, well, Kamala. Uh, they don't want Kamala to be Kamala. They're 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 locking her up or some paraphrasing some shit. I'm like, what do you mean he doesn't want to be Kamala? Kamala can't fucking speak to people. She's being Kamala when she Kamala's being Kamala. She can't fucking speak. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Maybe that's great. Made me laugh. Um, okay. Hanging up. I, I, I didn't realize I just hung. I, did, I thought I'd hung up earlier. Who I agree. Is, I agree with everyone. Who's talking? Who's it's talking? Uh, last caller. <laughs> yeah. So I just realized. I thought I was just listening and hung up, but for some reason it left me on the on the callers page. But yeah, just wanted to agree, agree, agree. Yeah, calling is bugging. Oh. And uh, yeah. Okay. Well, uh, already. That was different. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there was. I guess Colin doesn't want to let him go, but that's. Okay. I guess not. <laughs> yeah. Oh, by the way, Sabrina, I'm going to end it with this one. I found the clip I was looking for. So the title of the clip is "Well, the thumbnail says you're racist." He's still with that guy. Watch the bullshit that comes out of his mouth. You have absolutely no sympathy for the Palestinian killing. Because That's not true. Don't, don't put words in my mouth. No, 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 seriously. I 100% have sympathy. Your, your, your entrance into this uh, yeah. conversation is extremely racist. Why is U.S. so aligned with Israel over Gaza? Because they're white like them. Are they allowed to be Who's people? white? Well, I mean, uh, a lot of Americans consider Who's Israel is the white. But you know for, for a fact I know, I know. most Israelis are it's, Sephardic and are brown. It's the perception. So it's bullshit. It's the perception. Exactly. It's a perception, you know. So this is this is how Israel like uh, promotes itself. We are a secular. We are a dec- democratic country. I have never seen a secular or democratic country that would actually give contraception shots to its own citizens to their Ethiopian Jews and make them not to reproduce. And until 2013, they have confessed doing that. They have been doing this for 10 years. That is not a democratic country. You have absolutely no sample. Okay. With that, I'm done. Interesting. <laughs> All right. Yeah. It's a funny thing. You should watch it. You might, you might pull your hair out and go back to the stylist later on. That's wild. Let me go to Victoria, then I'll go to Noel. Thanks so much, Ashura. All right, let's bring in Victoria. You are on the mic. What's going on? Hi, yes. Um, yeah, I was a Bernie supporter back. And um, then I was really excited about the RFK Jr. until he, his whole position on Israel and Gaza, which 
I just couldn't stand it. I, I'm totally against him now. And, but I'm wondering, and I love Cornell, but I'm also wondering why does not anyone ever talk about Marianne Williamson? I don't hear about her anywhere. Um, and she's on the ballot, the first one that was Democrat. And I know she's Democrat and everybody probably thinks she'll be sidelined. Well, she has been sidelined. But um, what is your position on her? What is your thought about her? Because I listened to your podcast and I really haven't heard that much on that. Nobody brings her up. <laughs> That's because I already had a conversation with Marianne Williamson more towards the beginning of her campaign. Mm -hmm. And I tried to warn people even back then that Marianne was wrong on the Israel-Gaza issue. And honestly, it, it was just like, I'm trying to remember when that last, she had an interview with- Yeah, Marianne I remember Williams. that, but I re also remember, I mean, I also know that she has not- been pro-israel right now she's she's um she's not pro-war she's trying to have you know she wants peace there right but the problem is that marianne still doesn't understand the conflict at hand mm -hmm. i tried to explain this to her multiple times i know other people tried to explain this to her and it got to the point where she had that interview with lauren from fifth harmony and i called her out on twitter and i, I had not done that and i called her out on twitter i said marianne why are you using APAC talking points in this interview? Mm -hmm. Like the things that I heard her say, like, stop saying these things. And then she was just like, well, Sabby, you know, uh, well, this is what I'm saying. You can't use things like from the river to the sea because that means the elimination of Jewish people. And I said, Marianne, that is an APAC talking point. Mm -hmm. That is a Zionist talking point. And this is exactly what I said at the very beginning of her campaign when I said Marianne Williamson has some Zionist views. And we were shouted down, like a lot of us of RBN were shouted down over that. Then as time went by, especially after October 7th kicked off, people started to see how problematic her take was on this issue. I had an interview recently with Norm Finkelstein where he had his opinion about Marianne on this position. And Norm Finkelstein said, I wish she would just shut up. Yeah, I heard him say that, and I'm like, oh, why? Because it seems like she's sort of shifted on her. Because I mean, she was telling lies. Oh, uh, okay. She was lying about Gaza. She was lying about Israel to make these statements and say, no, Israel doesn't do this. Israel doesn't do that. But there's no occupation. This woman said there was no occupation. Uh, I had to argue her down about this. Okay. So again, as I had said uh, uh, earlier last year, that she was not educated about this issue. Mm -hmm. How can you say, and I've been talking about this issue for what, maybe three years, actually since the first year I started my show. And I'm sitting there thinking to myself, like, as long as Marianne Williamson has been around, Marianne, as a progressive, you're supposed to be progressive. How can you sit there and say there's no occupation and there's no, how can you say that? Mm -hmm. How can you, where have you been? All the people and the resources around you you are in community with people like all the people I've spoken to. She had access to way before I did. So she could have spoken to a Norm Finkelstein. She could, she's, she's reachable. She can reach Max Blumenthal. She can reach all these people, the same people that I have brought on to talk about this issue for years. And yeah. it was just really weird to me that like, she was trying to tell me there was no occupy. I was like, Mary, what the fuck are you talking about? Yeah. And so that particular issue, she still doesn't get it. And that's why Norm Finkelstein said, he was like, no, he said, just be, 
He said, just shut up. Right, right. I remember that. I saw that interview with you. Yeah. The other reason why I don't support Marianne Williamson is because she's running through the Democratic Party. And I said, if right. she was serious about fighting against power, she would not run in a corporate party doing the same mistake that Bernie Sanders did, knowing damn well the DNC is not going to let her get the superdelegates to get the nomination. Yeah. Well, I was just hoping she'd do so much better than Biden that there would be no choice. <laughs> well, it's it's not it's not up to her, just like it's not yeah. up to it wasn't up to RFK Jr. when he was running as a Democrat. It's up to the DNC and who they want. Yeah. Bernie Sanders was polling number one no, in 2020. And all you, you see how these it things was so work. disappointing. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it, it doesn't matter how well you're doing as a candidate when you're running in the Democratic Party because of the superdelegate process. Mm -hmm. The Republican Party doesn't have superdelegates, but they still have their picks, too, which is why they push in Nikki Haley and they tried to suppress Vivek Ramaswamy as much as they could. Mm -hmm. So this is all a game. And unless you know how to beat the game, you're not going to win. And so you can't you beat, beat the, the game. game. <laughs> you beat the game by leaving the two party system. That is the only way you're not going to beat you beat the game by leaving the two party system and creating a mass movement across this country, similar to what Bernie Sanders did. But you do it outside the duopoly. Right. Now, but you, if you don't get on the ballot, you're not going to beat the system. The only person that's going to be off the on the ballot will be Jill, Jill Stein. Right. I mean, but this is but this is this is an excuse, because the thing is, is this if you have enough momentum and you build a mass movement like Bernie Sanders did, you will be on the ballot in every state in this country. Jill yeah. Stein didn't even have, I would say half the support of what Bernie Sanders had during those two campaigns. Bill, Jill Stein was on the ballot in over 40 states across this country in 2016. She's getting more press attention now than she ever did, than any of her, ever race, of her races where she's been on mainstream media, all of them, the third party and independent candidates are on mainstream media because they're all well known. At that point in time, Jill Stein wasn't popular. She, a lot of people didn't know her. However, a lot of people know her now. Mm -hmm. So the thing is, is like, you can't beat the system by trying to be in the system. Yeah. You have to beat the system outside of it. And if Bernie Sanders would have kept up that energy that he had and said, okay, I'm going to do the draft Bernie thing. We're all going to move and we're going to start a third party movement across this country. We wouldn't be having this discussion, Victoria. We wouldn't even be talking about creating a third party movement. It would already be created. Well, that's history. Yeah. No, I get it. <laughs> but he didn't. You could also run. Uh, ballot initiatives if you live in a citizen ballot initiative state. California. Definitely. Yeah. Because what happens at state level has a bigger effect on your everyday life than anything that comes over from D.C. Mm -hmm. So whatever it is that you want, run it at state level. But I right. suggest if you do it as a citizen ballot initiative, you do it as an amendment, not a law. Right, because the thing, is, and this is why I covered the, the ballot initiatives on my show, because the thing is, is I saw this happen after the Bernie campaign. A lot of people just threw up their hands and they were like, well, we don't have anything yeah. to do now. There's so much you guys can do at the local level. And a lot of the people that call in or a lot of the people I hear from 
live in ballot initiative states. And I'm like, why is everyone sitting around, like to Roger's point, waiting for someone on, on, on the national stage to do these things for you? Some of the policies that Bernie Sanders ran on have already been implemented in the state level. So I just don't, I don't, I don't understand why a lot of people are not. And then there's organizing. So for me, after November 2024, I'm not going to be upset because I still have something to go back to. I do organizing. Those of us at RBN, we set up chapters in all of our cities. So we do mutual aid and organizing within the community. And at the end of the day, that's really what it's about, like your community. And the White House does not know your community. They don't know the need, the needs of your neighborhood. Mm-hmm. So this is why I tell people that you have to pay attention to what's happening on the local level. You have to get involved in your community because you can't sit back and just wait for someone in the White House to snap their fingers and to be your hero. Yeah. I'm still waiting. Okay, well, thank you very much. Appreciate it. Victoria. Yes. Um, so you got CalCare, but they're refusing. They're, they're still waiting on um, Newsom and Rendon and all these other people to push it. And how many times are, is the nurses union in California going to get it that they have no intention of passing it? on putting it before the governor's desk, unless that governor is a Republican, mm-hmm. because that's exactly what they did with Arnold Schwarzenegger. They knew he was gonna veto it. So then the Democrats put it before them and say, oh, look what he did. Look at this Republican. We need a Democrat in office so we can get your Cal care. So that's just, that's game right there. They, you know what I'm saying? Like the, the I was on a, a Zoom call with, with um, these cow care people at one time, and they was all energetic and whatnot. After having their hearts broken last year by I forgot the guy's name either, Adric, Azkar, something like that, whatever his name is, right? Who was like came on and gave a sob story why they couldn't pass it, and then they want to go do the same thing again and try to uh, get the politicians to pass it for them, okay? And you have to understand they won't pass it, but if they do pass it they're not gonna give you the full spider. You are trying to pass that spider over the finish line, okay? And you can't, but if they do give you the spider, they're not gonna give you the whole spider. They're gonna snip off a couple of legs. Mm-hmm. Will the spider be able to you know, like hobble along, get managed, get around? Yeah, sure, but it won't be whole. They will always snip something, snip a couple of legs off, one or two, three legs, where, okay, it kind of, you know, the biggest example of that was you go from universal health care to Obamacare. I mean, that, that's, that's a whole bunch of legs that was cut off that spider. It was like, did it help? Yeah, it was able to manage and help some people kind of, you know, maybe, but this is what they do. They're not going to give you the whole spider. If you have the ability to get the whole spider over the finish line yourself, why wait on these politicians to do it? Okay. Mm-hmm. Y'all could have had cow care years ago if you would have said, you know what? We're not waiting for uh, the politician to do it. We're going to do it, you know? So, you know, that's pretty much it. Well, thank you. Uh, All right. Let's bring in the uh, Noel and then I'll go to Stephen. Good evening, everybody. You know, as I listen to, you know, what we discuss on call in and when I 
listen to what's going on broadly, you know, during the week, you know, I am, I just see everything is more and more evidence that, you know, this system is in a type of collapse. And I just wonder, you know, how it will unfold. You know, I think it was a um, activist back from the um, early 20th century. I think her name was Lucy Parsons. And she said, you know, they're not going to let you vote their wealth away. And that stuck with me because it just demonstrates that, you know, this whole thing is what it is. And this government is not going to support the people. There is no intention. Um, you know, when you think about it from the very beginning, this was a colonialist project and the people who were organizing things did so in a way that favored them. They introduced race to divide labor and it's been working. And I mean, it's just when you really look at the arc of history, the, the history of the United States is really rather predictable. And we find ourselves on the wrong side morally and ethically of every, you know, international set of circumstances because it's really about resources and creating fodder for the capitalist way. And I just think capitalism does not create space for democracy. And so as long as we're dealing with that, we're going to see the things that we see. Everybody on this call in knows that the real reason that the United States is enmeshed in that situation in um, Palestine, Israel, has little to do with the people and everything to do with positioning in that region of the world to access resources. That's what you know, Iraq was about. That's what the animus with Iran is about. That's what the issues with Russia is about. China. It's all about the United States and their capitalist energies attempting to organize the world for their own benefit. And it's just not going to work. And it amazes me that we sit and we discuss, oh, you know, we watch the government commit hundreds of billions of dollars to you know, military actions across the planet and then tell us in the same breath, oh, we can't afford universal health care. We can't afford, you know, to give you free college tuition. We can't afford this and that. And it's just like, huh? And it's just so clear to me that as long as we tolerate it, you know, as long as we buy into the divisions along the, you know, all of the ethnic lines. We're never going to escape what this is, and they're going to peel off demographics one by one. They always let enough of a certain demographic slip through so they can use them as the poster children to make you think everybody can get through when the reality is everybody is not going to make it in capitalism. That's not the way it's designed. You know, and you have the animus that's created by the immigrants, you know, coming in illegally, but they come in and they serve as a even cheaper labor than the bottom level of labor in this country. And you provide them respite or whatever it is, because you're trying to access that free and cheap labor, which undermines the very bottom of your working class 
and it shows your utter disregard for the homeless. And it's just like right in front of your face. And we just, we live with it. We tolerate it, you know, and it's like Eric says, in terms of demands, we demand as a collective, we demand nothing. We don't even demand honesty. We see that our, you know, governance structure is being basically steered by, you know, an Israel lobby that's very, very powerful and dominant. And yet there is no major, major call to get money out of politics and to, you know, remove these lobbyists. We have the Supreme Court saying speech is, you know, money is speech and corporations are people. And it's just an undermining of everything that would create principles of democracy for everyday working class people. And so I just, you know, I think a part of me has just kind of um, resolved that this thing ends ugly. And I guess I just sit in the galleries and say, okay, which way will it turn? You know, I do believe in trying to organize and participate, but you know, as you're trying to survive, it just becomes a lot. And I hear, you know, Roger continually talks about the ballot of initiatives and organizing on a local basis. But a part of the reason, at least I know for me, the part of the reason I feel so comfortable on this podcast and in calling is because locally, it's an even more dire set of circumstances than it is otherwise. You know, here in Cleveland, we have, you know, black elected officials and this and that, and they're the worst gatekeepers ever. And we have a, you know, media parameter that is just as bad because they're in bed and they're supporting, you know, what the local officials do. So it's just really a bad, bad set of circumstances. And if you find yourself in a red state, as I do, you're not going to get organization around the ballot ballot initiatives that will really help you as a minority or minoritized or marginalized person, because the people who will organize and help move those things are basically the white people. And they're moving along largely a white agenda. So it's just really, you know, I understand that the ballot of initiative as a tactic is a way that local politics can be, you know, made in power. But in the bigger, broader sense, if you're not in a set of communities that will support some of those things that will better your life, you're just still in the same set of circumstances. And I think that's why Black people in large part have turned to the federal government because the federal government had the power to do the national legislation like civil rights and things like that and override these states, which is why the states are, you know, the Republicans largely keep pushing states' rights because they know the majority of these states are not going to do things that benefit, you know, minority people. It's just a real interesting dynamic. But in terms of people like Charlemagne the God, I think that is so futile. I don't even know why, you know, people even pay attention to him for even discussion. He is a radio talk show host thing. He is not some intellectual. He has no insight that's worth anybody's 10 minutes, but that's why they move him forward. That's why they promote him because he's used as a gatekeeper to control and help steer you to where they want you to be steered. 
But I'm telling you, as soon as that Democratic Party can get away without the need for the black vote that it needs now, and they can replace the black vote with some combination of an Asian and Latino vote, that's when you're going to really see the floodgates open. Yep. Because they're yep. going to ignore you outright, full throttle, full stop. That's why I've been, I've been trying to tell people. That's why I said, black voters, you need to be getting some type of concessions because the thing is, at the end of the day, you're correct, Noel. Eventually, it's going to get to the point where they won't need the black vote to win for the Democratic Party and forget the Republican Party. So the thing is, that's why I don't understand why black people will just go out and just blindly vote in the polls and get nothing in return. It's a mess. And in reference to the B.I., um, Noel, didn't Ohio, they did pass the Abortion Protection Act, though, didn't they? They did do the abortion protection. But, you know, it's interesting because the legislature is still um, trying to pass legislation that will somehow modify the full scope of, you know, what the abortion amendment did for the Constitution. So they never give up in trying to you know, undo or minimize what it is that you've accomplished. But again, it's interesting to me that they all support this type of, you know, anti-abortion reversal of role until they start realizing the impact that it was having on their lives. Then it's, oh, let's jump up and do these ballot initiatives in A, B, and C. But it's, if there was a way that they could do that thing that would let white people get abortions and black people not, they would do it. If there was a way, and, and the reality is we know that people of high means and income have been able to, they have always been able to access whatever health care they deem necessary. But, you know, poorer people have always been under the gun. And, you know, I sit and I just say, wow. You know, these people are a trip. And I just watched this nation revert into what it has always been. And and now that, you know, the scarcity that befalls our economy because of the exportation of industry, now everybody in the lower half of the economy, and when we talk about class, everybody in that lower class is facing a similar type of precarity. Now it's making, you know, things really look strange. And what I realize is that, you know, if white people, and I believe this is a part, a strong reason why Trump's base is so tight with him, because he has promised them a restoration of something that he cannot deliver, but they, they can't see it because it's just too tantalizing. He has essentially promised them that he would restore their primacy and privilege. And that's all they cling to. They don't care whether he's guilty, innocent, whether he raped somebody, shot somebody in the head. And he understands that psychology, which is why he frames it like he does. And so they just, you know, cling. And I think one of the the real problems that the Democrats will face is they're banking on him being the nominee so they can fan the flames of fear, fear, fear. Ooh, Trump is the end of democracy. And if we can just scare him up, but they're dem- the Democrats are showing you that they're willing to run that risk rather than hear the, the people who consider themselves Democrats 
and the independent saying, listen, this genocide in Gaza is more than we can take. We won't stand it. Does not they're banking on Trump being the nominee so they can say, oh, but he will, it'll be the end of democracy, this and that, and blah, 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 blah. But at some point, all of this ish is going to hit the fan, and we're going to get an outcome that people are just not amenable to. And I think that's when eventually we're going to end up in a whole lot of chaos and confusion, because the bottom line is government is not delivering on its promises to the people. And no matter who gets in, it's the same thing for the poor and the working poor of every color, race, description, demographic. And at some point, this is going to lead to a level of volatility. And I think that's why we see cop cities and militarized police and stuff arising all over this nation. Because at the end of the day, if they have to, if the military and the government state has to treat us like the Israelis are treating a Palestinians in Gaza, they will, and they're demonstrating their preparation for it. Surveillance is everywhere. They're yep. tracking you through everything you type, speak, say. Yep. If they need to, they're going to control. Yep. Well said, Noel. Okay. Let's go ahead and bring in, thank you so much, uh, Victoria. Let's bring in Steven. Steven, you're on the mic, and then we'll go to Notori. What's up, Steven? You just have to hit the unmute button. Well, I'll tell you what's uh, uh, really I was uh, sometimes you and uh, Glenn Greenwald, you know, you have your programs come out at the same time, and it's like <laughs> back and forth between you and him tonight. And I was like, damn. But uh, so I uh, caught where you were, you know, given that uh, Charlemagne the God uh, uh, somewhat too. And I, I was like, oh, why wouldn't he why wouldn't he want to stay within the confines of the uh, the great elites? Mm -hmm. I mean, come on. So and, um, you know, it's interesting about Palestine and and. Uh, the Israeli state, you sit there and you go, okay, we have laws in this country. And you brought it up quite well. Um, you know, if, if you, if you come out and you smack the living shit out of me and I, and I say, Oh, you, you want to hurt me? And I come back and I, and I smack you back, but I keep smacking you and smacking you, smacking you. sooner or later, they're going to say, Hey dude, you're in trouble now. So, I mean, we said you sit there and you go, oh, what's the difference between um, what's going on with the Palestinians and, and, the, and, the, and the Israeli state? It's like then what you would do as a regular human being on a one on one. So that was a good um, analysis. Or I, I kind of liked what you said about that. And. Um, yeah, Bernie Sanders is a piece of work. You, um, they just, he's, he's, he's just a piece of work. Anyway, um, I enjoyed your show, um, uh, earlier on the earlier format or whatever you want to call it. Um, on Rumble, I found you on Rumble this time. So, and, uh, that's about it. Um, outside of that, uh, keep up the good work as usual and, uh, we'll be listening. Awesome. Thank you so much, Stephen. 
Okay, Miss Notori, whenever you're ready, just go ahead and unmute. Hello. There you go. Hey, how are you? I'm doing great. I'm just, I see the people talking about democracy and Democrats all playing the same playbook. I'm so over. It's like I see, the people see through it, but they still gonna vote for Democrats because what I see in the black community, how they bring out Angela Rye and yep, Charlamagne. And then I see like if you I don't know if y'all know about Fox So you see Claudia them, they calling people, they still calling people stupid because they acting like it's just between um Donald Trump and Biden and it's not. And it's just like it's like wow and it's I can I know it's all about class but I'm so sick of them talking about democracy, democracy. If it's democracy they want, they voted for Donald Trump. So why not just let it be? Why are you mad? Because I feel like the only reason Democrats and um, MSNBC is mad because they can't control Donald Trump. Yes, he's still for the rich people, but they mad that he might slip up with and say what um, the United States is really doing. Because he said some shit in the past, and that's why they really mad. Yeah, I mean, it just, I, I told you guys, like, they'll always bring forward, like, black media pundits that are not political commentators. They bring forward, now, they'll, they'll bring on, don't get me wrong, the furthest left they'll go, they'll bring on Nina Turner. But they only bring her on because she is a Democrat. Again, she ran through the Democratic Party. She still supports the Democratic Party. That's why Nina can still come on to CNN. But if you notice, the people who have pivoted away, like I said, notice you don't see them bringing Brie on there. They won't let her come on that show or anything like that or MSNBC or or any of those platforms because Brianna Joy Gray, they know she'll tell you I voted for Jill Stein. I vote I voted green. Da da da. They don't want that voice on there. That's part of the reason why they pushed out Mark Lamont Hill, because he told people he was voting green for Jill Stein and the Palestine issue, because he spoke out in support of the Palestinian people. So after that, they found their way to get rid of him. And so again, it is an effort to maintain the narrative and you can't do that if you have those types of alternative voices onto mainstream media now i would say their ratings would actually increase if they had those voices on but they don't and as max blumenthal told you guys when i talked to him recently cnn actually some of the commentators that they hired were apac staffers so wolf blitzer was an apac staffer so what does that tell you they are hiring people that will manufacture consent. Mm-hmm. And it's just, I got a feeling, I hope he don't, but I got a feeling Donald Trump is going to win. And it's like, I don't, it's like, I can't stand the Democrats so much. And it's like, I know it's a lot of people out there. They don't even give a fuck if he win. Some people do want him to, um, cause their life is so fucked up. Some people do want him to get in there and fuck everything up. They're not talking about those people. You're right. You're right. And and I, I just want to point out something. If you look at Donald Trump, you look at Bernie Sanders, right? Donald Trump did what Bernie Sanders wouldn't do. 
Donald Trump basically told everybody else to kiss his ass. And he stayed on course. Now, Bernie Sanders wasn't willing to do that. That's why both times Bernie Sanders told you to go ahead and support his corporate opponent after he told you to fight against corporatism. He told you to support his opponent that was, you know, not a part of the Democratic, um, excuse me, not grassroots, that was not in favor of Medicare for all. Let's just all remember this, people. Not in favor of Medicare for all. These things that he claimed were so important, at the end of the day, when it came time to fight, instead of standing with his people, he told you to go ahead and support the people who supported the exact opposite of the Bernie Sanders platform. What could Bernie have done instead? Bernie Sanders could have stayed with his base, radicalized his base even more, and told his base to, you know, basically stand firm, don't come out and support Biden. We're starting our third party movement. Bernie Sanders didn't do that because he knew his political his political bubble that he has would have been over. So see, that's why I say when people say Bernie Sanders, like, Oh, I'm starting a political revolution. If he was starting a political revolution, he wouldn't have told you to back the corporate people. He was never starting a political revolution. So the thing is, is that he missed his moment twice. If Bernie Sanders would have told his supporters, withhold your vote because of what they did to us, what the DNC did to us, the DNC fraud lawsuit, his supporters would have backed him. But did he really miss his moment in terms of what he as a person was angling for? If he was really, if he really loved this country like he suggested he does and this and that, I'm just an ordinary person. He has been in those political circles for the entirety of his professional life. He knows how they play the games. He knows the games inside out. He knows the tricks. He knows the DNC. He knows the players. When Jill Stein said, come to the Green Party, I'll give you the top of the ticket. If he was concerned about anything other than his own personal objectives, he would have seized that opportunity. You know, he had had a full career. He could have retired if he wanted to. If you know that the system within which you are working is not going to yield, then you have to do something radical. He understood what those $27.50 donations meant, but he steered those people right back into that tent and he did it knowing better than you or I what the end result was going to be. He stood on that stage and said, oh, the secretary would make a great president. Knowing this woman's frailties, knowing her weakness, knowing her hawkishness, then he gets right back up and does the same thing for Joe Biden. He is the worst part of the problem because you mislead people and you exploit people's pain. 
He is he did a similar thing as Donald Trump does. Donald Trump can speak to the inner core of that white, poor and working class people. And he speaks to their vulnerabilities and their fears, just like Barack Obama spoke to black, just like Bernie Sanders spoke to spoke to a um populist people, they know your angst and they know the way the system is failing you, but they're not willing to buck the system, to speak those truths to power, to help change the system. And maybe it's because they saw what happened to the people in the 60s who tried, the ones who dared, who got assassinated, and maybe they just don't have that type of personal or professional courage. But these people know exactly what they're doing. They know the way they're manipulating people and getting people under control. And they're leading people just to where they want them to be. You're right. You're right, Noel. Um, and also, I think Bernie Sanders was kind of sent in to bring in the younger voters for the Democratic Party because the Democratic Party wasn't doing too well with young voters. That's another thing, too. Then turn people over to Joe Biden. Yeah. And I wanted to say, too, when I saw Obama and Michelle Obama whack ass talking about they scared and clutching their fucking pearls. I, I'm so glad you can add people at Twitter because I know they fucking see it. And I was dragging their ass because I'm like, if y'all really were so down for black people, y'all bitches would be fighting and pushing for reparations. And they doing none of the things. Let me tell you, when Barack Obama came to Boston, this was like years ago. It was when he was still uh, in his second term. I remember there was quite a bit of anger in communities like Dorchester here in Boston. And there were statements that were recorded by local media where people, where Black people in Dorchester were like, I don't care to go see Obama. He only coming around here for, for what? For what? And it was just, it, it, it's very telling, very telling. That's why I said, if you notice, you never see them go to these communities to talk to the marginalized people, people who are poor, people working class, because those people are going to tell you the truth. That's why they don't go into those neighborhoods. They don't go into neighborhoods in like the inner city. Let me talk to these these voters and uh, find out how they really feel about Obama and stuff like that. They're not going to do that. Let me see how they really feel about the president of the United States. They don't want to do that because those voters, again, those people have nothing to lose. They're not in these high corporate positions where they have to cater to some type of status quo. These are people who are struggling to make ends meet. They're just trying to do their damn thing, keep their head high as, as much as they can and try to pay these damn bills. And the thing is, like I said, mainstream media, they're not going to talk to those people. If they did talk to those people, then they would know how the rest of America feels. And let's keep it real. The panelists that you saw earlier tonight on the MSNBC roundtable, those people don't interact with working class people either. All those people are rich. Rachel Maddow, Jen Psaki, uh, what's her name? Oh, Joy Reid, Emoji Dude. Those people, these people are millionaires, you guys. 
they're not interacting with working class people and asking them how they feel about political issues or anything like that. And you know what it shows you when we look at people like Charlemagne the God, how he's willing to protect his own in reference to uh, money and status and social circles. It shows you that when we look at the class issue, rich black people have class solidarity with white black people, with white people. Think about that. Rich black people have class solidarity with rich white people. And the reality is at this point, all of the media outlets, the major media outlets are to some extent corporately owned. And there is only going to be support for the narrative. You know, you can't even get a real set of talking points out of major mainstream media with respect to Palestine and Israel because they're corporately owned. And so you're you're just not going to get those discussion points. You know, rarely do you see people maybe outside of status quo or savvy when you take to the streets, when you just get to hear the mainstream grievance. All of that basically is on um, independent media because the mainstream media is not interested in that. They're interested in painting a picture for you and having you buy into that picture. You know, I just... How can you spend a hundred billion with the B dollars in Ukraine and tell me what can't be done for me? How can you keep coughing up money to, to allocate 800 billion with the B to the military industrial complex, to the defense department and all of this, and then tell me I can't have health care and health care is a major part of the cost that that causes many elderly Americans to financially lose their footing because they get these major illnesses and they don't have the insurance or the wherewithal to pay for those, the services they need. And that's it. But you're telling me, oh, I can find 14 billion to send to Israel. I can find 60 more billion to send to um, Ukraine and this and that. But I, we can't do this for you all. And it will cost less to do that for us than it's costing you year upon year after year to fund all these wars. But again, we see that money going to those four nations and coming right back to the military industrial complex as the purchase of weapons. And so that money circles right back into the economy, but through the military industrial complex. And it's just like, Wow, we got to have a hole in our head to sit here and let, you know, Democrats and Republicans and everybody else tell us what they can't do when we see money just going every which way. It's just like, wow. And out of all of the things Donald Trump talks about, he doesn't talk about universal health care for everybody. You know, but again, they peep into your psyche and they feed you just what they need to make you think you're going to have an upper hand over who they paint as your enemy and you lock, stock and barrel and you thinking everything is going to be good and you end up just in as bad a situation as you were before. You're right. You're right. I just wanted to say one last thing. North Carolina, I don't know if everybody getting it yet, but 
Um, we um in North Carolina, we already getting calls, robocalls talking about make sure you register to vote because our democracy save our democracy. I'll be like, save my bank account, bitch. <laughs> That's that that would be my 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 statement there. Save save my 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 bank account. How about that? It's just crazily, crazy, crazy, crazy. So the thing is, like I said, this is why we have to like help each other. And it's just, I don't know. This is why I look forward to community organizing and all this kind of stuff, because it's just, it's, it's a reality. And I hate to say it, but a lot of these people, they have led you off a cliff guys. A lot of these people led us off a cliff and look, I'm not perfect. They led me off a cliff too. I bought into the Obama hype. He led me off a cliff. I bought into the Bernie stuff and I bought into the Bernie campaigns because of left independent media, because mainstream media was either trying to ignore Bernie Sanders or when they did talk about him, they were smearing him all the time. I bought into the whole Bernie thing from left independent media. And even then I had some criticisms like Bernie need to have a black agenda. I remember saying that back then, but at that point in time, most of left media were white men. Most of them were, and they really wanted them like, no, Kalkalinski, no, Bernie shouldn't mention reparations because then it'll alienate white people and da da da. And I'm like, those motherfuckers led you off a cliff too. That's that's the other thing. Because they basically they helped create the Bernie movement. And Bernie Sanders refuses to go into any of these channels. Left independent media, the TIT, TYT framework built the Bernie movement, not just Bernie. Because that movement sure as hell was not built over mainstream media. It was that group in particular, all those people who were TYT affiliates or a part of the TYT or TYT co-hosts at that point in time, Humanist Report, uh, Secular Talk, even David Pakman for a little bit, like, and David Pakman also came from the TYT network. They built the Bernie movement. And we sat back and at the time, I didn't even realize it, but those motherfuckers made a lot of money off of this. They made a lot of money off of the Bernie movement and you had all these, they convinced all these people who were working class and people who were poor to give what they could to Bernie Sanders campaign. And when you look back on it, considering how large the movement became, we should have been asking for a lot more, you know, because Bernie is just mainly a social Democrat. We could have been asking for more like a living wage. Bernie was saying, increase the minimum wage, $15 an hour. We should have been asking for a living wage for every fucking body, not no minimum wage, a living wage. And I guess that's why I get so, there is there is a certain amount of cynicism that arises in me because I am 60 and I think about, like you say, Sabby, you know, it was a progression, you know, 
There was a certain excitement for Obama because he was the first that we'd ever seen. And then there was a certain level of political awakening and, and disenchantment when he proved to be more of the same. Then come Bernie Sanders and you're like, okay, he's slightly different. He's talking a more populist thing he's talking about. And then at some point you just wake up and say, this is a fucking game. All y'all just spinning webs and this and that. And nobody's really willing to do the things that it would take to change the system. And so it's like, wow. And now that now that I am awakened, it's like, oh my God. And I think about my progression and I think about how my, you know, political ideology was created through the educational system and learning about the three branches of government and Democrats and Republicans and this and that. And I'm saying to myself, if these young people are being brainwashed and indoctrinated in the same kind of way, by the time they wake up, if they don't wake up in a different way than I did, then this thing is going to be lock, stock and barrel. Because the change that's the changes that are needed, the break in this system is needed now. It's really needed 20 years ago. But, you know, the system is very adept at spinning a narrative and giving you just enough message. And, you know, with the black people, they're especially good at giving you the symbols of Barack Obama, Katanji, Kamala and all of these. And you living off this aspirational symbolism. And and when you try and say, and now at this point, if I say, you know, that's just not enough. It's just symbolism, blah, blah, blah. People be ready to beat you down. And I'm talking about my people because they're so ingrained into this, you know, oh, the Republicans are the demons and the Democrats are going to be the closest thing. And if even if the Democrats don't save us, they're better than the Republicans. And I'm just saying, oh, my God, if you could just step back. And I think a part of that is, you know, especially for people who are older than me, it is frightening to think that this system is as corrupt and hollow as it is. And it's just like, you know, it's, 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 so I understand exactly what you mean, Sabrina, because I go through that thing where I'm like, God, it took me this long to wake up. And if it takes this long for the younger people, the cause is just going to be lost. Yeah, you're right. And honestly, like my dad tried to tell me back then, I didn't want to hear it. I was mad at my, I got upset with my dad. Because my dad tried to tell me, he said, Bernie Sanders is not going to get there. And I was like, Dad, he's polling number one. And my dad tried to explain to me, he said, you really think that the Democratic Party is going to allow someone like him to get in? And, you know, I mean, my, my dad was right. I just didn't, I wasn't ready to hear it. And that's another thing I try to keep in mind is like, not everybody is ready to receive this type of information when we give it to them. Um, but, you know, this is why it's important that I always tell people that like, I would not put your bank on a politician. I, I just, I just really wouldn't like you. You can't, that can't be your end all game. 
you can't just rely on that. No one should just rely on that. And um, what I've learned is that some people just, that's just what they want to do. They just want to rely on that. And that's unfortunate because I don't know how many times <clears throat> these politicians have to play us for people to get it. And um, it is what it is at this point, though. Darnell, you are on the mic. What's up? You just have to unmute Darnell. If you're still with us. Going once. Going twice. Darnell, I'll invite you as a speaker. I don't know. I don't know what happened. Okay, let's bring in uh, Michael. Michael, you are on the mic. What's up? Hi, Sabi. How you doing? Hey, how are you? Doing good. Doing good. I love your I love your soul very much. You're very uh progressive, very independent, analytical. And I like how you like I, I remember I watched a clip not too long ago when uh what's his name? Who was who was uh comparing the polling between uh Joe Biden and Donald Trump and Sarnowski, whatever his last name is. And I'm glad you you mentioned that. Oh, he missed a very uh, you made a circle because MSNBC is is um, MSNBC has a tendency to over, um, you know, over not oversimplify, but it but MSNBC has a tendency to like you know skip a lot of like breaking news stuff or something or or can or skipping over candidates who are the underdogs who have who are, who are probably like better in polling and have more ballot um initiatives. So I stopped watching MSNBC, you know, CNN. Because to me, they're not providing like real news. And I, I know for you and other people on YouTube, you guys are providing excellent news coverage, independent analysis, and you're gaining a lot of uh, insight uh, from the public. Because I have a problem with, you know, Democrats and Republicans, but especially Democrats, because Democrats will tell American voters, oh, you need to vote because your democracy, because our democracy, your, you, the democracy counts, you need, you need to vote for us Democrats. I mean, I'm just paraphrasing. Because your democracy counts, the democracy needs you, or it's the democracy really count. The democracy really uh, counts on you to vote. Democracy and to me, it's like, but there's no. They say. Yeah, and there's no, there's no democracy in the first place. Even if like my uh, parents' generation of baby boomers, especially uh, my uh, my dad, told me we live in a democracy. I said, Dad, we don't live in a democracy. We live in a republic. If we were living in a democracy. Politicians would have listened to us, not the other way around. We listen to politicians and they're the boss. No, we're the boss. We control the elections because without us today, politicians would not be in the office in the first place. And I see where like Medicare for all, you know, the organizations, they've been compromised by Joe Biden and the DNC, especially the National Nurses um, United, because I had an issue with, with the, uh, with the, people who are running it and they told me that we can't go big we just need to settle for less i'm like no i don't believe in selling for less because we settle for less than what are we really fighting for and if we're going to vote and i think it like this if democrats run on on like promises of medicare for all tuition debt free public education and vocational training reparations they didn't do any of this stuff it's better just vote either like you know like you said third parties or republican i think it's better just to vote republicans as a protest vote as a protest vote, I'm sorry, protest vote to teach, mm. to teach Democrats a lesson because Democrats haven't done anything for you. They've done more 
for migrants, immigrants, and refugees, and of course, their military industrial complex. So it's like they really, if you see it, I feel I see the way I see how Democrats are doing this. They're really discriminating against Americans, and it they're giving like immigrants, migrants, and refugees like more rights. You know, what I mean, more protection. Like what happened, like in Chicago, for example, the migrants are getting like, yeah. Yeah, even though they even though they're not eligible to vote, they're getting like free housing, nine thousand dollars in rental assistance for I think what six months, and then they tell the American citizens in Chicago, it was very insulting. Um, he's I th- I think the guy I saw on the mute, the, the clip I saw, he's from Venezuela, and at the Chicago town hall meeting, or Alderman meeting, he told the Afghan uh, black resident, "There's no no money, no money for you. You lazy." And when I heard that comment, it was very insulting, very discriminatory. And and for that Venezuelan uh, migrant to say that he worked hard, okay, if he worked really hard, why did he come to America in the first place? He could have stayed in his home country to rebuild his country if he's talking about hard work. And I just see that immigrants are actually worse than Americans because the immigrants, they have this kind of like entitled mindset that they're better than us, that they tell us that we need to work hard. But I'm like, immigrants, you guys came here illegally you guys didn't even work hard to build america you guys got wait a minute wait a minute hold up so here's what we are not going to do we are not going to demonize a group of people because of a select few and you're using the term immigrants not everyone who's an immigrant came to the country illegally so i want to go ahead and correct that yeah, and I know. Two, I think it's important to note the reason why they are coming here in the first place. So I think instead of putting the blame on the migrants, the blame needs to be put on our government for destroying those countries economically and destroying their infrastructure. That's where the blame needs to go. The foreign policy decisions that our country has made, that's why they are coming here and they are coming here in large numbers. So you never put the blame. Let's be very clear Mm -hmm. because you don't point and blame at those people. It's not their fault that the U.S. government destroyed their country. Now, should they be given benefits that American citizens are not? No, I don't agree with that. But what I will not do is sit up here and support that type of rhetoric, because the thing is, these are blanket statements. And I personally don't like it when people make these blanket statements and stereotypes about African-Americans. And I'm pretty sure people who are immigrants, and I know there are some on this call, would not appreciate the blanket statements that you just made about immigrant people in this country. Okay, yeah, I'm so. I mean, like, I'm sorry for that for the immigration, the immigrants, but I'm saying the reality. This is a reality because if you look at the reality, a majority of immigrants really don't have our interests at stake, and they're not willing to fight hard for universal policies. You know, they benefit from free housing, right? They're getting like money that we've been that we've been. No, I'm sorry, I'm Michael. Again, I think the vocabulary is important. Immigrants, you are again using a blanket term. You're saying immigrants got free housing. I mean, the migrants. Sorry, let me say the migrants. Let me be clear. Sorry. The migrants in Chicago, 
in one city, and of course in Los Angeles too, it's becoming more widespread. They're getting something that we paid into the system for so many years, and they've only been here for less than a year. And for the migrants to make a blank statement telling Americans, oh, we need to work hard, but we've been working hard for so long, but we're not, get, we're not getting any free stuff because you're right, because the U.S. government and the Democrats want to replace migrants with American citizens. And the Democrats have a, I don't know, they, to me, they, ha they have a tendency of telling, like, we should benefit all people. But if they're benefiting all people, why is that migrants are getting help the most? But where's American citizens? We're the taxpayers. We're getting help at the least. Not to mention, we can't even get universal health care. Uh, rental assistance. And to me, it's like the Dem, the Democrats, the Democrats, I'm done and I'm finished. And when it comes to voting in 2024, I'm definitely for sure going to be voting between either, either third parties or Republicans. But most likely it's going to be towards, you know, third parties such as Dr. Cornell West or uh, Dr. Joe Stein. But for sure, Democrats, no, can't because they haven't learned anything at all in the last 20, I think what, last 24, 25 years, because they've borrowed playbook, they've been compromised by Republicans. They borrowed Republicans' ideologies on fiscal policies, you know, programs, and pretty much it's like nothing has really changed under Democrats. But we know very clear Republicans are not going to do anything with us. It's very clear because Republicans are very honest. And that's one thing I like about Republicans. Not to say that I not to say I support Republican policies, but Republicans are very honest. They they tell you where they stand. But Democrats, they they play these kind of games like overtly. It's like I'm not even sure if Democrats are really interested in fighting for universal policies plus caspian reparations for ADOS. So it's like it's to me it's like give and take. And I want the Democrats to really, really, really listen to what we have to say. Because if they're not going to listen to us, then we just do a protesters, protest vote, set it out, or vote third parties. Because either way, the Democrats are not going to get our votes because they haven't done nothing since Joe Biden was president in 2021. And Democrats talk about, oh, we need to give him enough time. He's just been president for less than 45 days. But I'm like Joe Biden. He, he gave other groups protections or assistance, but he didn't give us Americans uh, anything. And if he did, it was just barely enough. But it's not enough to close uh, the gap. Yeah, well, the Republican Party isn't going to help you either, Michael. I know that, right. I'm aware they're not going to help us. I'm saying, like, the Democrats, they're not being honest because they always like to use, like, I'm sure you're aware, Asabi, they like to use but covert language to pretend they're for us, but they're not really for us, the Democrats. And they play halfway. Right, right but, Michael, the Republican Party isn't honest either. Right, right. But I'm just saying, like, Republicans are very clear when they say, like, limit the size of government. We know very clearly means they're not going to help everybody for sure. But the Democrats, they're like, uh, we don't know if we want to expand Medicare for all or not, or if we should go with public option. And to me, it's like when they play games like this every year, I get very tired of Democrats, you know, uh, here's, economic. Here's, Michael, not. here's a question or here's the issue that I have, like you just said. When we talk about reparations, the first thing they say is, oh, we got to do it for everybody. Oh, we got to include the indigenous. Oh, we got to include this. But when you talk about the people who are in this country illegally and you as a politician go to say, we need to at least provide shelter. We need to at least provide some minimal level of health care. Where's the politicians to say, 
well, it would be unconscionable to provide these people services that we're not providing for the homeless and unhoused in this country. Oh, let's do it for everybody. If we're going to extend benefits to this group because they have come across the southern border and it would be unconscionable to leave them out in the cold, then let's provide it to all of our native people who are living out in the cold. Right. It's that's just, how that's exact. I got your point. I understood exactly what, what you were saying. And, you know, I agree that we don't lump people in a, a broad, we don't paint people with a broad stroke. But how dare you, as a person who, are, who is in this country from another country, say that my people, there's nothing for us because my people are lazy? See, that's their propaganda that's gotten into their consciousness before they even got here. And the bottom line is, you have no standing as a citizen. So who are you to say anything about who's lazy? What do you know about who's lazy? And see, this is the point I mean by they allow those policies to create all type of volatility and infighting at the bottom end of the economy because that's not where they exist. Right. And I'm just saying because I saw I saw a video. I saw a video in Chicago. It's a migrant who's telling the. Uh, I saw the that video as well. Yeah. And it just made me upset and angry because I'm like the migrant didn't even pay any taxes at all in the first place. And he's getting like the free stuff. And like the citizens, I mean, the citizens, regardless of race, they've been paying taxes for so many years. They've been working hard every day, working as a week, and they can't get any stuff for free, even though they're, even though they're local residents of Chicago. And to me, it's, it's an imbalance. And that's why, I have a, that's why I have an issue with the Democrats' foreign policies, because they want to put sanctions on foreign countries. If they took the sanctions off, we wouldn't see a, an influx of migrants or have, a, have this migrant crisis and having migrants move from one city to another in 50 states. And it's just very uh, taxing, very tiring, because we, I'm sure you understand the way, like American citizens, we want to be treated, we want the universe, we want these social programs or the free stuff that the migrants are getting, but we can't get as American citizens because the Democrats are treating the migrants better than we vote for Democrats. And I understand and the need not to frame them or blame these people for what brought them to this country. But what I am saying is that when you bring these people here, it does pose a type of volatility because whatever you do for them, you have not done for your homeless here. So exactly. it's not a matter of blaming them. We know that what drives some of them to come to this country. But what I'm saying is the problems that it creates, nobody's addressing it. It's not something where they care about what the homeless Americans feel or what those people in Chicago felt when those people who were bust in from Texas and or Florida were put in their communities. That does create a type of scarcity amongst the resources that are already there. And they rarely, when they ship them, they rarely end up in the most affluent communities. They always end up someplace where the people are already struggling. Right. I, I well, want to I would say uh, to Michael, just FYI, just FYI, I covered the story in for Chicago. Yes, and I, I covered the story of California as well, where Gavin Newsom had announced that he was going to give um, them health care and and things like that. So I did cover those cover those stories, 
And I also want to add, this is just not a Democrat issue because some of the same Republican lawmakers who are raving about close the border and all this kind of stuff have no problem having migrants as their landscapers, their housekeepers, or their caretakers. Right. So there's that. Hey, Savia, I wanted to jump in here because, you know, I'm, I'm an immigrant, uh, and I've seen the plight of many, many other immigrants from various countries when I first came here. And, and I've grown up with many, many various, I've, I've been very blessed in that sense, you know, growing up in the Bay Area where my neighbors were like a rainbow of people. And I saw, you know, just a, a wave of, of folks that came from, from, you know, the time that I came here as a kid. But it's, it's easy, you know, from my, I hear Michael, he's a young guy, or he sounds like he's a younger person. Uh, but he's making a lot of generalizations, like you were saying. And in some ways, Michael, almost falling prey to propaganda that is not really the fault of these folks that are coming in. It, it is our system that divides and tries to conquer us for its own means and in its own ends. And it's not for the good of the, of the American citizens or the people that are coming in that are migrating because we have impacted their country's abilities, their ability to be self-determined in their own way, we disrupt everything. And so they end up coming here. Also, they also get, get uh, propaganda uh, indoctrinated into their own minds through movies, through what they watch. And so when they come here, they have no understanding of our culture, except for what they've consumed through movies. Right. It's, 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 it's a lot of that. So when we have these instances, we get very frustrated and it's easy for us to point to a, to a group of migrants. Let's say it's even a couple hundred thousand. Whatever that number is, think about the numbers of billions of dollars that the government has wasted on just recently on the, on the Ukraine war, on the Israeli <clears throat> genocide, and countless other wars. Those monies could have went to the citizens of America to help us, the people that are already here. You know, and, and, and we could have started with our black folks and so on and so forth, but we don't do that. And so it's easy for us to focus on the migrants because we can visibly see them. It's happening right now. But the problem is much more complicated than that and much more simpler. It just depends how we look at it. But I, I for one, do, do not want to blame these guys. I know there's going to be problems because now they're here. There's going to be problems because they're people. There's so many of them. So there's going to be challenges. But we got to figure out a different way to, to solve these things. The Democrats are not going to solve this. They're just going to conquer and divide us and, and, and use them, use these, these folks that are coming in here for their, own, for their own ends. And so are the Republicans. We should not be fighting them. We need to figure out a different way to get at this than try to blame these people. So I, I wanted to share that. You know, Okay, great. Let's bring in. I think Darnell was trying to chime in. Go ahead, Darnell, because I know you dropped off uh, Hello. earlier. Just go ahead and unmute. There you go. Hello. Darnell, I don't know if you're speaking. All I hear is, I think it sounds like water. 
Hey, Grandma. Um, I thought he's drinking water. <laughs> okay, Darnell, I don't know what's going on. Michael, um, anything else? Yes, and something I just want to add just very quickly. Uh, I just saw something today. Bernie Sanders said uh, to Democrats, oh, Trump is going to win. Democrats need to, need to embrace progressive agenda, meaning we need to take on corporate greed. Uh, Health care needs to be human right. Uh, people being uh, paid starvation wages. And when I hear that from Bernie Sanders, to me, he's like, he's really the same, the same person when he first ran. And, and nothing's going to really change with him because we know very clearly Bernie Sanders has made a lot of deal with Joe Biden and the moderate Democrats. And it's very clear to me that Bernie Sanders is against uh, reparations for Adolf. So for Bernie Sanders, he can kick, he can kiss his butt goodbye. He needs to retire because he's like, what, 80-something years old? He needs to spend, spend time with grandkids. Let the young people run for office and make things better. Because Bernie Sanders, to me, he's just losing touch. And it's like, I know for a second he's just going to hold on. He wants to hold on what's about to be finished. And he knows that young people are not going to tolerate him, you know, talking the talk, but not doing the walk the walk. Yeah. I agree. I mean, Bernie holding on to that money, though. I know he's holding on to that. All right. Thank you so much, Michael. Yes. Uh, Roger, you're up next. Okay. So first I want to say this. Um, I am trying to raise $3,200 in four weeks. <laughs> oh, shoot. Crap. Any... I forgot to mention that. Um, I got behind in four months of rent since October because I had four income disruptions that happened to me once per month since then. I might have something. Um, I'm waiting. I'm, I'm waiting to get the go ahead, but I might have something. But if there's anything anybody could do to donate, I would appreciate it. I will put the cash app and Venmo in the chat. If you can, cool. If not, then don't knock yourself out. Um, the second thing I was going to say is, um, what do you call it? Uh, 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 uh. So, um, one, so what, what my man, a kid was saying, um, about, uh, they come here with, um, uh, uh, certain views about black people. I don't know. I don't know how many people know this, but there is a lot of blackface comedy South of Texas. Okay. I don't know which countries it is. But you know those those stereotypes about black people, black Americans, or black people in general, are very rampant in some countries south of Texas. Okay, I don't know which ones there. There's a whole bunch of different countries, whether it's Central America, South America, whatever the case is. So yeah, this is how you would get some people coming here with those stereotypes. You know what I mean? I've, I've heard a lot of stereotypes about you know like the thing that happened in the uh, the council in California with um, some some Latino, um, one of them was going to was supposed to have Kamala Harris's job, um, by the way, Kevin DeLeon or something like that. But they got caught on um, a hot mic call, um, calling us monkeys or something like that. And these are people with power. Now, the, the other thing is, you know, and I don't think you saw it, Sabrina. You know now that 
what we're doing and as far as black people is concerned in terms of leverage you know it's working i don't think you saw my dm yet but you know it's working when now i didn't read the article yet when jamal bowman comes out with a 14 trillion dollar reparations plan okay the only way that would have happened is if the democrats gave him the okay to go and do it because these democrats are panicking hard i don't know if you've seen that um that interview that phil scott did with um kata i forgot her name but she's in chicago she was the one that was saying she was like you know part of the uh what do you call the 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 community that was saying democrats we're done with you um green party republican party trump party uh independent yo give us a call um so phil scott had her on like yesterday it was was pretty interesting but she says she's voting republican and you know, she she's saying, "Yo, look, I'm catching hell from all these different people." It's like, "Oh, I'm done with you, or whatever." But you you should check out the interview. It's it's pretty good, um, and uh, like, yeah, it's it's it's. I didn't read that article yet. I can't wait to read that article to see what if it's it's if it's finesse, if if you know, or if it's a real reparations deal. I mean, they put in the title fifteen trillion dollar reparations package." from Jamal Bowman. So these people, so what we're doing, wow. black people, what we're, oh, you, you seeing it? Because I sent it to you. Yeah, so I, I I didn't see this earlier, but that's that's huge. I did not know about that. Um, I wish I knew it. Well, maybe I can cover it on Thursday then because I didn't see it before I went live. But all I got to say is, this is very telling, Roger. Mm-hmm. You're it's right, they can what can we do to get what can we do to get black voters to still come out and support Joe Biden? It's Sister Kata Trust. That's her name with Philip Scott. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I saw I saw the clip yesterday, yes. And she was very specific and had uh, specific demands what she wants to come because she was a, a community organizer and she actually knew Brandon Johnson very well. They were like good friends. And she withdrew her support from him because Brandon Johnson decided to house the migrants. And he didn't ask his voters who supported him for, like, permission, input. Because she said to him very clearly, I would say no, Brandon Johnson. You cannot have the migrants come to our encampments. Because look at our high schools. Where are kids going to go to school? You see the high schools encampments? Where are the kids going to – how are the kids going to play football or do extracurricular activities? Yeah. Um you know what? I bet you that you could get that woman on your show, Sabrina. Sister Kata Trust. Um, I bet you could send me send me the the. What do you want me to do? Send me the send me the video, Roger. Send me have, the, the link to the video that she was on the interview that she did. Okay. Yep, yeah, I actually have that. Let me see. I can send it to you. It, it's a race to send this to Sabrina. We're making no, it a race. Roger, just just send it to me via DM. You you know. Um, but yeah, just just DM it to me. Um, so I have time to watch it and stuff just like that. It. But just um, thank you. Yeah, that's that's really really interesting. Um, but this again, like to your point, Roger, like this is what happens when we threaten to withhold our vote. Now all of a sudden, people are like, oh. 
I, I, let me come up with a reparations plan to help, you know, black people and da da da. Like, oh, now you want to give us something because we're threatening to withhold our vote. This should have been happening all along, guys. And this is for every group because, like I said, other groups do this, right? They'll say, no, I'm not voting for you unless you do this, this, and this. Yeah. Absolutely. That's that's what you call leveraging power. You know? I wish I could tell her, because uh, since she's in Illinois, right? Do you know, I'm looking at the... Um, the, the regulations for the um, um, the citizen ballot initiatives for each of the citizen ballot initiative states. You know, Sabrina. Oh, sorry. Hello. Oh, um, you know, um, Illinois has the least stringent, most relaxed regulations I have ever seen when it comes to uh, running a citizen ballot initiative. Out of all the all. 23 states that I've seen. Illinois is the easiest. That's so interesting. I would, I would love to talk to her or something. Maybe get that through whatever. Because they tried to run a ballot initiative um, through the Chicago one and it didn't work or something. I forgot what the technicalities of it was. But it might just be easier to do it, um, you know, statewide. And they well, don't have guys- a distribution. Yeah, well, guys, I'll start covering the 2023 ones, which there aren't as there aren't many of those. Just FYI, because it's an odd number year. I'll start covering those Thursday, and then once I get through to those, then we'll move on to the ones for this year um, that are going to be coming up. So stay tuned. And Roger, uh, again, like with the mutual aid requests, I'm just telling you from experience. Those of us at RBN, we've had better luck when we actually do that as GoFundMe or Spot Fund because you have to tell your story about what you're raising the money for versus this is what happened to me, guys. Here's my cash app. So I'm just giving you a heads up and it's quick to set up, but I'm just giving you a heads up. You actually do better if you're trying to raise money, if you have something like that set up versus if you just say this happened to me, can you donate to my cash app? Okay. Well, I'm new to it, so. All right, so, I'll, I'll, it, so it's you said it's easy uh, to set yeah, up. Yeah, it's, uh... it's easy. It's just like you, just like if you set up an account for Twitter. It takes like okay. five minutes. Oh. Okay. Yeah, it's not it's not very detailed. I mean, it's, it's a couple questions you got to answer. Like, obviously, they're gonna ask you to put in some type of banking information, whether you use PayPal or not, or something like that. So the money has a place to go to. But, and Rome will tell you guys this too, but like in the past, we just, we've had better luck when we have it as like a GoFundMe or a spot fund. That's just what I've noticed. If you don't trust GoFundMe, Roger, you can use spot fund. Spot fund. Mm-hmm. Okay. Thank you, Smiley. Red herring. Okay. Uh, I'll check that out. Yeah. My laptop. That'll, that'll help you in, increase it more, I think. From yeah, my laptop. Yeah, my laptop's at my uh, mom's house because I had to cut cut off my internet, so I have to go over there to uh, get get on the internet. Yeah, because I know how that that can be. I've been in between jobs before, and and I've had a lot of things pile up. So yeah. I know how that can be. 
Um, okay, I do want to make sure. Thank you so much, Michael. Yeah, any any time. And by the way, I keep getting emails from Democrats asking for donations, petition. I just signed their petition, but I don't I don't donate them. Don't donate money for the campaigns, especially Nancy Pelosi, Joe Biden. They need to if they want to ask donations, they need to ask their corporate donors. Don't ask us average people to do to donate to them when they're not going to fight hard for us anyways. Mm, I hear you. Well, I don't tell anyone to donate to politicians on this show. So there's that. Because right. I, I made it very clear. I said, you guys are not coming back to me after November saying, Sabby, you told us I donated all this money to this person. No, no, no. You guys are not coming back to Sabs because Sabs told you do not donate to politicians. So I would have people mad at me because I know I, I donated a lot of money to Bernie and I was pissed. What's up, Brady? Go ahead and unmute. What's good, everybody? Um, thought this is probably a good time to bring up my new strategy for rent strike, which is, you know, like myself personally and so many people I know, we have houses with extra rooms. We got a garage with space in it. We got, even I live in a tiny home right now, but like in an emergency situation, somebody could totally bunk with me for a week, a month, or whatever, no problem. And what I'm suggesting that people do is that at the end of their leases, you know, couch surf as long as you can and make a game plan for it and do everything we can to support each other. And uh, maybe just be like, hey, man, I got an extra room in the area. You can totally stay here for a month uh, as soon as you need to. And then just, you know, kind of plan that out. And it's one of the freest ways we can um, lower rent for everyone immediately both in you know whoever you're letting stay with you um they're likely to offer some kind of support in one kind of tangible way or another whether it's making dinner or cleaning the house or just hard cash you know so that makes life a little easy easier for you right there and then them not paying for an apartment that month drives down the housing costs for everybody and uh, one of the things that i've been working on myself is I'm just going to buy land and have like shipping containers and eventually build a storage units, you know, and, um, slowly develop earth ships on it. Like I've crunched the numbers and like just buying land and, you know, maybe living in an RV or a tent or a really fancy greenhouse for the first few months while you build a house is, it just makes way more sense than renting from, you know, uh, an apartment. It's just terrible. You might have to drive a little bit longer, but it's so much more worth it with the freedom involved as well. But, um, I think it would be really great if we had co-op apartment complexes. That's what we need to do. We need to get people who are already in a co apartment complexes right now and get them making co-ops to essentially buy up apartment complexes, take care of it, fix it up, you know, have ownership in the apartment complex and you could essentially sell the ownership, you know, um, to whoever after that, but like, I don't know. I think that's gotta be one solution to this whole problem or a few solutions. Hopefully that'll start driving the housing costs down for everyone. Because, uh, honestly I lived in a tent for like a month before I moved into a friend's house in his backyard. And I'm not lying to you guys. It was the best sleep I've ever had in my entire life. I put a carpet in the tent. I had my TV in there, the PlayStation, the bed. Uh, it was really nice. I would, I kind of want to go back. You know, um, and I can imagine with like an air conditioning unit and some solar panels or something out there, it'd be really nice. So I just think that we need to 
get more creative about our living situations right now and work together and plan ahead so that we're not um, reacting to catastrophe um, later down the road. And uh, that's a really cool thing about uh, Freedom Cell Networks. They're trying to do stuff like that. I got land for sale in Texas right now. Um, it has a tiny house on it and a big house on it. It's got room for two more tiny houses at least. And uh, I highly recommend going that route. Um, my mom had a tiny house built for about 20K here in Texas. And if you do the math on that, guys, look at what you're paying for your apartment in the last you know, four or five years. Um, you can totally swing that. And there's cheaper and cheaper methods and ways of building houses every day using recycled materials. So I just want to stress that we really need to get together and start organizing our housing situation and taking control of that situation ourselves because no one is going to help you with that unless they're getting their beak wet in some way or other, which is just creating another middleman in the situation, which inflates the housing price in the long term. So, and also the, the ballot initiative thing, you know, uh, another city just got mushrooms legalized through ballot initiative. And I'm, uh, dead set on getting something like that done here in San Antonio. I actually talked to some local, um, uh, it was like decriminalized nature is the same group. They got it decriminalized in that other state or city recently, but they said that they were not interested in ballot initiatives and a couple other things. So, uh, I don't know why, but I'm just going to have this started on my own and hopefully they'll just kind of end up joining and be like, Oh yeah, what a good idea. But um, I'm dead set on getting that done for San Antonio. It's a great way to, and I highly recommend that we pick a city, you know, we all move there, especially black people. If I was black, I'd be like, get all my black friends. Like, yo, let's pick a small town. Let's try it in a small town. You know, let's take Jason, let's take Aldine's advice. Let's try it in a small town, you know, and take it over and just see how far you make time. it down the road. I brought this up one time before. I, I feel like it was recently I brought this up that, um, you know, Cynthia McKinney put this idea into my head like two years ago and she said, what's stopping us from taking over, you know, everybody putting in $10. And if you had a, a couple hundred people put in $10 and everybody just take over like some small rinky dink town and just kind of do things the way we want to do them. Yo, as a Texan, can I just recommend that y'all choose Oklahoma? Because I think it'd be super cool to have like the black state right just north of us would be pretty sweet. And the food's really cheap down here. Um, Oklahoma's I available. Wanna, I, I don't want to have to deal <laughs> Take with it back. <laughs> all the time in Oklahoma. Make it, make it everywhere. Do it all over the country, but start with cities and make it a state eventually, you know, or a place where y'all feel safe, at least, you know? So he didn't feel like you'll have like more of a community. So, um, you have to, if you, you, you also have to check the, uh, the regulations within the constitution and within that state's constitution, as well as, um, like your city, because some states, some city, some states constitutions and some cities may not allow, um, non-residents to circulate um, petitions. So you'd have to check that. Um, yeah, Oklahoma is, is, is a great state. Now, me, you know, being who I am, I may, I don't know, I might want to stay out of Oklahoma, depending on what city we're talking about or whatever the case is. But um, I hear where you're coming. I hear where you're coming from, Brady. 
Um, well, we certainly got some support for y'all here between San Antonio and Austin. You know, we got Houston. Houston's got a nice black population already. Beyonce came from Houston. Um, so representing Texas music, that that's pretty cool. That's I would um, still like to be able to walk outside and breathe and not breathe in mosquitoes, muggy air, and humidity. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm black, Brady. My hair gonna go. Yeah, cool. you don't have to come to Texas. No, no pressure for everyone to come to. I'm saying, just don't Alabama or Mississippi, my Texas. That's all I'm asking. Is like, I know people say don't California, my Texas, but I, I don't want them to Alabama, my Texas, please. So, um, I'm just encouraging cooler people to show up all the time. I think it's great out here. Um, but uh, yeah, mosquitoes are real for sure. And Bill Gates is running experiments down here with that right now. So that makes it even scarier. Um, but uh, other Mark, point I was going to bring. a town in your state, Brady. You know that? What's that? I covered this last year. Mark Cuban, he bought a town in your state. Okay. That's interesting. He did. Look, Google it. Mark Cuban bought a town. I forget the name of the yeah. town, but it's very small, rinky-dink town. There wasn't much yeah. there, and he, he bought it. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, you can totally do that, you know? And then once you own the town, local laws are up to you guys. You know what I'm saying? Like, it, it wouldn't take a lot of us. Like, imagine that Bernie Sanders energy. But instead of focusing on voting for one old man, like we're focusing on taking over towns. <laughs> like, I'm suggesting we should take this and Aldine's advice. Absolutely. <laughs> we should try it in a small town. <laughs> See how far we get, make it down the road. <laughs> I'm, I'm but, uh, man, let's, let's do something. Let's do this mofo. Cause like, you know, well, maybe, well, actually maybe not me. Cause I can't, I got a house, but yeah, everybody do what they got to do individually. But for people like me, you know, for people who are willing and able, let's do it. You know, yeah. And the, the Freedom Cell Network, I don't know if you talked to Derek yet and, and got a chance to check out the Freedom Cell Network. Um, I, I spoke to Derek. I'm I'm waiting to hear back um to to reconnect as well. But the thing is, like people that don't have kids also, because some people that don't have kids in school, I should put it that way. Because then uh -huh. it's like you gotta take them from the school and then the town may be a dead town, it may not have a school. And then they have to homeschool the kids, like that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, like people that are like, yeah, like I'm thinking about this and I'm like, a lot of the Gen Z kids who are living like five, six deep in an apartment in the cities and stuff, why not pull their money together and just say, let's move to the middle of nowhere and live like kings and queens? It really is like. That's exactly how. Tulsa was built up. Yeah, you know what I mean? And like, the only thing I know about Oklahoma is Oklahoma State football. I know about my football and Hanson. That's it. I know Umbop is from Oklahoma and I know Oklahoma State football. I did not know that Umbop was uh, Oklahoma music, but. That's 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 respectable, you know. I'm about to go to open mic tonight. Maybe I'll cover some umbop. But uh, the other points I'm gonna bring up before I pass the mic is uh, James Corbett might be more available and willing to do interviews and stuff. Uh, he has a really good uh, segment called Solutions Watch, which I recommend to everyone. He just got back on YouTube too, so it's easier to watch him now. Oh, and cool! 
watch episodes are so good. I, I'm telling you guys, any problem you're facing in your life, I'm pretty sure that James has a solution watch episode for you already. And they are so... Like, I think, like, Vermont has, like, some communes. If I remember correctly, like, you got to go to these weird, like, because, like, Vermont, for example, there there isn't a lot of people that live in Vermont. So in Vermont, like, there are certain parts that have, like, nudist colonies and stuff like that. Like, you can do that there when there there aren't as many people. So I think they may have, like, a commune or something like that. Um, But it doesn't even have to be, like, a commune. Just, like... You know what I'm saying, Roger? The, the, the first Sorry. piece of pushback I usually get from this idea is, um, oh, is it going to be like a commune with weird sex stuff? And the first thing I say is, if you think that communes are weird with their sex stuff, wait until you find out about apartment complexes. Mm-hmm. Because, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, you put too many people close together like that, you're going to have those issues regardless of where you're at. And it might as well be with a smaller group of people that you trust more, you know? You, 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 you. So I'm, I'm still laughing at the, the Sabby said the, the, the nudist joints. Yeah. But check this out. But check this out. a good out. point. Did you know I was Wait. watching um the news? I was watching the news a couple of years ago or something like that, and they said that there was um a high rate of STDs at a lot of these old folks' home. I swear, I was just like, oh, shit, the old folks is getting down in the senior citizens' home. I was just like, what? oh, shit. I think it was in Florida. Yeah, it was in Florida. <laughs> yeah, because a lot of these, like, nudist colonies, it's mainly, like, older people. Right. But this wasn't oh. a nudist colony. This was this, this was just a... It's kind of just like an aspect of freedom, you know? If you have your own house in the country, you can go suntan naked if you want, and no one's going to see you, you know? No big deal. And we actually had a, a rooftop access at one of our cool little condos downtown once. And we would go up there and suntan naked and do all kinds of stuff on the roof because um, no one could see us, you know. And it was like a little aspect of freedom that kind of comes with a uh, little, little added privacy that comes from being out of away from too many people, you know. And so, yeah, it is a freedom that you can enjoy, you know, when you. Okay, well, thank you very much, Brady. I'm going to go on with um, Maria. I also just wanted to bring up that I think Michelle Obama is their secret weapon. So heads up, we're about to get Bernie Sanders all over again, I think, with Michelle Obama. And yeah, I'll pass I've, it to you. I've heard that. Yeah, you guys stay, stay, stay aware. <laughs> See you later. All righty. Let's bring in um, Maria. Okay, Maria, you're on the mic. Just gotta unmute. What's up? Hey, Sabrina. I really, really want to talk about some current events with you, but I know Lance was ahead of me in the queue for a long time and had technical issues, so if you wanted to get to him first, I would understand. I don't see um, a Lance in the queue. Yeah, he just dropped out. So I, I yeah, guess I my gesture is wasted. Um, oh. But anyway, uh, have, have you, well, I haven't, what, 
what have you been doing in the last couple of days with the new developments, with the Iranian strikes? Uh, you know, what, what are your thoughts about the whole Middle East conundrum that the U.S. and Israel are learning lessons the hard way Mm-hmm. That they're approaching everything in in a very misconceived way. Yeah. Well, this is what they they want, Maria. Like, I'm sorry, but <laughs> some people disagree with me on this. But I'd say the U.S. They've been itching to go to war with Iran. They've been itching. I mean, like they. They're like, oh, we don't want any ex- escalation, right? That's what Anthony Blinken continues to say. If so, let me let me show you their bullshit. If they didn't really want an escalation in the Middle East, they wouldn't continue to give weapons to Israel. So let's just go ahead and debunk that right now. They want an escalation in the Middle East. I think Joe Biden may try to use that. As the excuse of, well, you need to keep me in office because look at what's happening here, right? Um, and and also there's the issue with the oil. Like, let's be real. Like, this is also about resources. And as I've been saying for quite some time, our resources are decreasing across the planet, not just in the United States, not just North America, but In reference to the entire planet, the United States government has been depending on these resources for too damn long. This is why I said we need to move away from depending on oil. And I've been saying that for years. A lot of these wars in the Middle East are oil wars. You guys realize that? That's what a lot of it is. Oil. When my dad went to Operation Desert Storm... That was about oil in Kuwait. So it's just, it's, it's a lot of that. Now, if we did not depend on oil, that would take away some of those issues for the United States government in the Middle East. And the thing is, the U.S. government and Israel, they want access to the oil but they also want to control the oil so they don't want iran to have access to oil they don't want any of these countries to have access to these because like i said before this goes back to secularism so jb and i had a big conversation about this before on the savvy and jb show it's not just about the resources but also about stopping secularism meaning That's why they want to prevent any type of spread of Islam. So if you think about any of the Arab nations, Israel doesn't want that. They want to expand Israel to create a greater Israel. Obviously, I've talked about that oftentimes, but also the United States government also doesn't want that because I want to use the example of Gaddafi. Gaddafi before he was killed, 
one of the things Gaddafi was trying to do was that he wanted African countries to move away from dependence of the West. And he wanted to move more towards a socialism style of government. So yeah. you see... And he got sodomized to death at 70 years old in the streets by a mob because of it. Right. But what was the narrative from the U.S. government and mainstream media? It was Gaddafi was slaughtering his own people. Now, let me call their bullshit. If the U.S. government really cared about people being slaughtered in other countries as much as they say they do, they would be doing everything that they could to stop the slaughter of the civilians in Gaza. It was never about that. Just like when they said Saddam Hussein had weapons of mass destruction. That was not true. These are just excuses that the State Department and the CIA, they come up with to basically explain to the American people why we need to go to war or why we need to support a war. But it's usually a lie. And they lie. They never give the full story. They never go through the history of what happened prior to. They always just start with, well, Gaddafi was killing his own people, so we got to go and take him out. And Americans just believe it because, like I said, we're the most propagandized country in the world because we're one of the most uneducated countries in the world. And don't believe what the U.S. would tell you about countries in Africa in reference to education. Because guess what? A lot of the African immigrants that come to this country, they are highly educated. Highly educated. They're doctors. They're lawyers. You know what, Savvy? I was up a lot of last night being really angry and frustrated with a broadcaster, a social media broadcaster that I tune into. And I sent him a link from Glenn Greenwald's show. And he said, I don't care about this. I only tune into real news. As in mainstream media. How do you deal with that people like that? I... I I mean, I really lost sleep over it last night. I was stewing over it, and I had to really refrain from responding in a very uh, charged way. Well, um, fortunately, people don't say that to me, actually. Um, I think... um, you know, I mean, like, my friends and family, like, I mean, obviously, they know what I do. Um, they've never, at least not to my face, <laughs> none of them have been like, I'm only going to watch real news or whatever. But then you also have to understand, like, the people I typically hang out with, too. I mean, the people closest tend to, to me tend to be more progressive or, like, socialist uh, ideology. Yeah. So, so there's that. So just, just keep that in mind. I don't, unlike some of my other friends, I actually don't have conservative family members. Like I just don't. Um, but also 
a lot of my family members don't believe the Democratic Party either. So for me, it's a little bit easier. Like I said, they don't, people don't actually, people close to me don't tell me that. They don't say I only watch real news. Um, I mean, they've mainly like applauded like what I do. So, because they'll tell me every now and then, every now and then, you know, um, and my dad's kind of shy about this kind of stuff, but every now and then, like my dad will like, let me know, like, Hey, I saw like, he's like, I saw your interview with, uh, Scott, the Scott Ritter guy and da da da, you know? So like, they usually give me kudos. So I don't, I don't hear those talking points. Yeah. And, and I salute you on all of those levels. That's why, that's why I, I am totally a fan of yours. I really appreciate your truth telling and, and that cuts through all of the nonsense. Uh, I am grateful for that. I just didn't know how you would respond to somebody, uh, I really lost sleep over it last night. It is somebody I've traditionally enjoyed interaction with. Uh, but all of a sudden, you know, a link that I sent them to a really valid uh, award-winning journalist, you know, the, you know, coverage, they're just like, I, I don't care. Don't send me these things. It's not real news. I I just don't know how people respond to that. I really don't. It's so frustrating. I mean, you just tell them, it, you know, what it is, which is that those channels are not real news. You tell them how those networks are bought by billionaires you tell them that the shareholders are Van Rock, or excuse me, Van Vanguard and BlackRock and State Street Corporation. You tell them those things. You send them videos that some of these are still on YouTube. You send them videos that explain how the CIA talks about how they infiltrated the media space. Uh, you send them videos from Noam Chomsky that talks about manufacturing consent. I mean, it's 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 all there. You know, so I think that um, the majority of Americans, though, when it comes to the media landscape are incredibly, I would say those over the age of 45, a lot of them tend to be heavily um, bought in to the mainstream media narrative. But I do feel like because of some of the social media platforms and because of like platforms like YouTube, I do feel like more people ha are starting to waken up to some of the lies that have been told by mainstream or from mainstream media. Well, I'm 46, so I'm above your tipping point, but it still makes me mad as hell because people just don't want to listen. And, you know, what's, what's been going on with Yemen in the last 48 hours uh, and shutting down shipping lanes. You talked about the efficacy of the oil trade. Nobody's talking about Yemen's efficacy 
in shutting down shipping lanes and how it's going to affect global supply chains. Nobody's talking about that. And that makes me nuts. And it, nobody, hardly anybody is talking about Yemeni footage that, you know, they don't care. We, we just don't care. Let's start a global war. We don't care. We're going to take our position in opposition to genocide in Gaza and, you know, fuck it all. Bom- bomb us to oblivion. We're going to block trade as much as we can in protest to this. And it will disrupt global supply chain. And I, I don't see hardly anybody talking about that. And yeah, I, Iran making targeted, targeted strikes within the last 48 hours. Uh, long-range strikes just to prove they could do it. Just to prove they could make long-range strikes without immediate repercussion. I mean, they're, they're flexing. The Middle East is flexing right now. And we are on the losing side. Yeah, I, I want to just jump in really quick there, Savvy, just because in listening to a couple of shows last night that the mainstream media has pivoted to Trump just to move away from the Gaza story and to uh, Maria's point. You know, the, the, the fact that Iran is, is striking these Israeli, I think, locations is why they they struck. But I also uh, I also wanted to pivot to just or just change the subject just a little bit, just to ask about Charlemagne, because his show gets about eight million people that listen to The Breakfast Club on a monthly basis. So albeit, you know, he's not a scholar, he's not a intellectual uh, like it was said earlier today, but he, even with a few, if he can just influence so many millions of people, it, it doesn't take that much in terms of like pivoting or not pivoting, but but uh, changing the scales or where the votes can go. You know, so if he's got eight million people that listen to him on a monthly basis, he has some influence over those people, and and that can change the outcome of certain things. And then I wanted to ask you just really quickly what you thought about the Cat Williams. And I apologize if you've already touched on this on previous shows. I haven't listened to all your streams over the last week. But I found it so interesting and refreshing to hear Cat Williams, albeit he didn't touch on Gaza per se. But it was refreshing to hear his perspective from somebody who, who hasn't been painted in the best light, but yet he's still commandeered by the everyday folks i used to love listening you know i i I still think he's very funny uh but the fact that he hasn't he has not bent to the will of let's say hollywood or the status quo he has never hasn't been painted in the best light but yet people the general folks love him because he's so he comes across as genuine so i just wanted to ask that yeah, um, I will say, well, well, for the first part, um, in, in reference to the Breakfast Club, I will add, you know, the hip hop shows have millions of subscribers. 
There's another one called Math Hofra, also a, a hip hop show based in New York. Um, yeah, Harlem Bob, uh, um, a barbershop in Harlem. Yeah, um, those those uh, channels get millions of views. Also, remember the Breakfast Club is corporate. It's it's a radio. It's a corporate radio show. It's not. Like it's just a YouTube show. And that's what a lot of people, some people may not realize that the breakfast club is a radio show. Like they have their own thing and that's how it started. Um, and then they branched over to YouTube like as well. So again, the, the shows that are corporate that are backed by sponsors, they're always, it's easy. If, if, if I just did like a hip hop show and I was it, sponsors will back you instantly. Like, yeah, like go, that kind of stuff have millions of followers the people who have the shows also that just they're just like it's just celebrity gossip those channels also do particularly well right so the thing is it's that's because that's what they want you to pay attention to that's what they want you to be focused on things that are actually not really important instead of focusing on the issues now, somewhere along the way, the Breakfast Club decided that they were going to start interviewing presidential candidates, but it's not a political show at all. Um, it's a hip hop show. And so what I have noticed is a lot of these politicians, they will go on to hip hop shows to reach the black audience, but they are reluctant to go into a black independent political show, especially one that is critical of both parties, uh, let alone one party. And that's why, even if you look at uh, Brie's show, Bad Faith, like even Brie, Brie has said this before publicly, like on our show, that she has invited all of the members of the squad onto Bad Faith podcast and they won't come on. Ro Khanna seems to be the only one that's willing to go on to anybody's show. He came onto my channel when I had less than, I, I want to say, less than 10,000 subscribers. He even came onto my show. So he's willing to do it. But most of them are not. And the reason being is because, okay, we'll, we'll reach black viewers on the hip hop shows and a lot of black people are going to be listening in, but the people hosting these shows aren't as deep in the political space like uh, a Kyle Kalinske or like, um, or, or like a majority report. So they're not going to ask the questions that like, um, they're not going to ask the question that like those people would ask or like I would ask like that kind of thing. So they'll go on to those hip hop shows. RFK Jr. went on to Math Hoffer's show. Again, it's a hip hop show, but you haven't seen RFK Jr. going to any black independent political show and you haven't seen him go on to any left independent political show. So that should tell you something uh, very clearly there about someone like RFK Jr., Vivek Ramaswamy, him, even him. He went on to Breakfast Club. He went on to Rising. Again, Rising is also corporate. So they'll go on to that, but you're not seeing them go on to these, these independent political shows, right? So again, like I said, uh, it's, it's, it's very telling. It's very interesting. Um, now, some of them will, like Cornel West will, um, Marianne will, Jill Stein will, uh, some of them will, but some of them will not. I saw a clip earlier today that someone sent me where Dean Phillips apparently went on to Crystal Kyler Friends only to call them anti-Semitic. <laughs> Damn. 
Yeah. So, so that's, that's what I'm saying, guys. Like they had already been told to steer away from the Bernie Sanders, uh, left or people that were a part of the Bernie Sanders left. They've been told to steer away from those particular people. And then well, if we think about, um, I think maybe next bet, maybe the Kim Iverson show, but even some people won't go, even some of the politicians won't go on to her show. You know, RFK Jr., I don't know if you guys noticed, he came on to Kim Iverson's show twice before he... Um, Ran? But before, the, the first time he came on was before he launched his campaign. The second time he came on, I think, was right after he announced his campaign and he was still running as a Democrat. But then after that, especially after he started to receive criticism about his position on Israel, he wouldn't come back on to Kim's show. So that's, this is why, this is why I'm telling you guys a lot of these people are just frauds. They're, they're just frauds. You know what that reminds me of? Um, I remember, mm, no, 2001, 2002, something like that. Our um, senior senator, uh, Patrick Moynihan, died. So Hillary was running for that Senate seat. And anyone who's familiar with um, Hot 97 in New York, uh, Angie Martinez, who's uh, famous, you know, she's been around since like uh, Hot 97 started in the early 90s. I remember her interviewing her. I mean, she wasn't in the studio. And, you know, she, she didn't know what to ask her. So she was just like, Oh, uh, so you listen to hip hop? And Hillary was just like, oh, I kind of go back to, and she started talking about Motown artists and stuff like that or whatever the case is. However, I will say this, that was before media was de was decentralized and democratized, okay? You saw how dude with the dreads checked RFK and he probably didn't see that coming when he was asking about reparations and he was trying to do this inclusive all in approach. And dude was just like, well, why we got to how come when it's something for us, we got to share with everybody else. But no one else be, is asked to share stuff with us. And that might have took him for a loop. He probably wasn't like, oh, you Negroes know something. You know what I mean? So they, these people, these, these Democrats, well, he's not a Democrat anymore, but they're operating in a space of they think that they're going off of as if CDs are still around. They're going, you know, they're going off as if flappy disks are still around. You know, they're not going off the fact that, no, we live in a cloud culture now. And those things that, 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 you, that used to work, they don't work no more because we have democracy that's um, in this information that's decentralized. And speaking of the uh, pivot that a, a kid was just saying, no one, I don't think anyone has caught this, but you're saying we have to save democracy. So I guess those old talking points of, hey, you should be happy that he passed the bipartisan infrastructure plan and the Inflation Reduction Act, and he did um, the, the thing for seniors and insulin, I guess that wasn't catching. So now, you know what I mean? They think they thought that, oh, we just tell them what policies they passed, but they probably never thought that we would actually 
investigate those policies and see these that Biden passed and see what effect it had on us. So they're no longer bragging about the Inflation Reduction Act, the bipartisan infrastructure law, the the uh, what else they passed, Sabrina? You know, uh, student loan. They tried to pass student loan debt. They tried. To, you know. Yeah, yeah. Because it because it wasn't working. Yes. Yeah, that was propaganda. That was a stunt. But. Let me ask one last thing before I I let you move on, because I don't want to take up too much of your time when you have other callers. Um, what at what point are we going to um, mainstream the term anti-establishment? Because we we really are turning a corner in this country about having representatives that are anti-establishment and is called populism in a lot of circles but when are we going to start calling it at anti-establishment because I think that at the root of it, that's what it is. When you don't have people that are running as populists that are part of the establishment. Until then, we can't call it that. That that's 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 the thing. I mean, it's just it's if if you're a part of the establishment, you're like I'm running a populist campaign, but you're a part of the establishment. Then that's a big part of the problem. As long as we have candidates that are running a populist campaign and they are a part of the establishment, we won't be able to call it anti-establishment. But thank you so much for that. We'll bring in Ravina, then I'll go to uh, Lucy. What's going on, Ravina? Just got to unmute there and then we can hear you. Go on once. Go in twice. The mute button is in the bottom left-hand corner. Nope. Okay. Lucy, what's up? Just got to unmute. Hello? Okay, Lucy, we're going to you. You just have to hit the unmute button. Okay, going to go ahead and move on to Sean. Okay, Sean, you are on the mic. Just got to unmute. How's it going, Sabrina? Long time, no talk. Uh, yeah, how's the genocide going for everybody? It's, 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 it's fucking horrible for me. I mean, Jesus Christ, to, to really realize that like the entire American government is so evil that we're like kind of in the conditions of revelations. And I totally mean that literally. But um, I did want to kind of ask about you, I mean, because this is the thing. And I'm actually a smart person, but I've been evaluating this entire situation. And it's been pretty nuts to me. There was a conversation earlier that I kind of want to hit on a little bit with Noelle. She said something, and I forget it at this particular moment, because whatever. But... What I do want to ask is this. 
I mean, what are, because this this is the actual reality. Then and I, I can tone it down because I don't know how loud because <laughs> I can't hear myself. But um, I literally, and I mean literally, cannot look at what's going on right now as anything more than the fall of an empire. Because at this point in time, and people and people don't understand this, the, the the major mechanism of the American system of power and control was literally the American propaganda machine. And ever since Russia invaded Ukraine and told America to go fuck itself, the entire world was like, you can do that? And ever since then, America has been taking black eye after black eye after black eye after black eye. Because... When you have a bully that just bullies one person at a time and he's got his little group of friends, that's that's an impressive way to bully. You can control school like that. Russia was just the next biggest dude and finally told America. It pushed America, punched it once in the face, and America ran off and just like, do, do whatever you're going to fucking do. That's what happened in uh, Africa with, I think, was, was it Niger? When, it, when they kicked out France. That's what happened with BRICS. That's what happened with freaking... Um, I don't want to say Saudi Arabia because that's inaccurate. South Africa. That's what happened all across the entire world. The point that, the point that I would actually be interested in your perception on, uh, Sappy, is particularly this. How are we not actually looking at like the death of an empire? Because this looks unequivocally like the death throes of an empire. And more so than that, and this is this is no hate towards Brady, but I just got to say it. Um, in order to deal, with, this system relies upon the faith in money. In fact, that is the only thing that the American system has as as a main form of uh, stability is the faith in money, the the blind belief in money, and you know the petrodollar, so on and so forth. But if we actually hope to change the very system or change the very structure, if we're talking about real revolution, the first thing that we need to actually do is create a condition of understanding and development that makes it so people understand that the major, the major system of human th- flourishing is not uh, money, is communication. And that if we actually ever hope for a real revolution, you need to actually educate people on how fake the money is in order to build that basis. But besides that, yeah, what I what I'm yeah, besides I just felt I needed to make that comment. Besides that, I would actually kind of want to I, yeah, I want to understand what your thoughts are on the death throes of America because the money issue is also tied into that with bricks and everything else. And as far as I can tell, that's all we're dealing with right now. And how we're going to deal with the death rows is the most important portion of what is going to come here in, in the near future, if that makes sense. So I actually um, have been talking about this for maybe the past two years that the American empire was in collapse. Uh, there's, like you said, BRICS as well is a perfect example of that. But other countries, I mean, are, are starting to embrace more of a multipolar society where there is no one head at the table and all of these countries are working together more, more so in a horizontal capability. Whereas for years, the United States government has tried to police the world. 
you, the U.S. wants to be the dominant country. And that's been going on for years. Well, these other countries have gotten tired of that. And they've started to take a step back and say, why are we so dependent on the U.S. anyway? Maybe we should even start talking about our own currency. And you see these things moving forward with BRICS, right? Richard Wolf predicted that this was going to come to fruition. He has been talking about this for years, that America will never get back to the point that it was like back in the 70s or early 80s. It'll never get back to that point. Ever since the 08 housing crisis, we have continued to watch America decline and decline and decline. Don't get me wrong. There have been a couple of comebacks here and there, but we have never, as long as I can remember, we have not been able to come back still till this day from that 08 housing crisis. And it's been one thing after another. If it hasn't been the housing crisis, it was the pandemic or this recession or that recession or all these wars that just continue to give us, drive us deeper into another recession. The US government has continued to fail because the US government continues to only heavily push capitalism and shun anything that is going to give workers having that power to control the means of production. Well, they, they have that's, why, that's part of the reason why we are where we are. And on top of that, the economic system in this country, when we look at the wealth gap in this country and we see who's at the bottom, anytime you have all these people, over 99% of the people at the very bottom and a select few hold so much wealth at the top, th- this was only... It, it was, it was only, uh, you know, it was bound to happen at some point or another. And so you have, you have that, you have the, the wealth gap, but then as a part of the wealth gap, you have the racial wealth gap. So then even between that, like, even when we talk about like working class people, black people are still at the bottom. So yeah. there's that too. Then you have the fact that there were no reparations paid to American descendants of slavery to try to atone for a debt that was owed or to try to amend, you know, things that the atrocities that happened as a result of slavery, Jim Crow, the crime bill, uh, the, the drug war. I mean, I can go on and on and on. So what we have created in this country is a significant underclass. And that can only last for so long, but for the people have had enough. So other countries have watched what America has done and they have decided to do things differently. People can say what they want about China, but they don't have the amount of homeless people that we have out in the streets and they have more people than we do. And the other <laughs> element is, is that, and Roger, I see you, but the other element is, is that I think that the morality, like, the problem is you can only base an, a society off of lies for so long, and the major mechanism of that structural condition of power has been the condition of money. I've, I've said this a lot, 
and some people even on this app are giving me shit for it, but uh, I'm smarter than you, suck a dick. Anyways, but money is the actual condition of our governance. Uh, do you have food? Like, do you, are you going to eat today? It's money. Do you have a car to drive? Money. Do you have gas in the car? Money. Do you have a place to sleep? It's money. Money is the major functional structure that we all live in. And I've recently realized that money is actual a mechanism of constant pain for most of us that gets us to all submit and that the homeless population, I've known this forever, that they never wanted to actually fix the homeless problem because it's like 20 billion a year. What are we spending on, you know, the military? They want to continue to create the level of homeless people within the United States of America as a means to subjugate all of us to the public humiliation, what happens when you don't subjugate yourself to this general system. But the problem is, is just simply this. We don't actually have a real economy. If COVID proved anything, it proved that we could support 100% of the American population with less than 50% of the workforce. The condition that they're now, and this is, and, and this is what is interesting to me, is the fact that like all their depravity, all their evil, all their greed, and Cat Williams, by the way, this is a random aside, was 100% real, but it's Hollywood. It is, there is a system of people and structure that treats the vast majority of the American public like we're stupid animals or literal slaves. And what has happened more and more, I think, with BRICS and America's, you know, constant aggression is that it has shown the actual American public how weak this system actually is. And more importantly, I think it has brought up ideas and comprehensions about, like, actually questioning the system. Because that was not the concept. It was not a concept in people's minds. I, I would say like five years ago. You know what I mean? People were upset about COVID, but they never questioned the place of American imperialism. That, that was a place that was untouchable. The fact that Russia gave America the first black eye, I think, has been so significant and so powerful that we are literally looking at the death of an empire to the level, to the grade that we're watching. You know what I mean? It's like... Nobody in Rome thought that the Roman Empire was going to die or could die or is going to, you know what I mean? They're like, my grandpappy was a Roman, you know what I mean? It's like, I'm sorry, your fucking grandpappy was an idiot and probably, you know, led to the condition we're living in right now. But I think that right now is the reality that we're living in. And I think, I think it's very interesting. And I, I actually, I mean, I live in the suburbs. My dad's, you know, black. Uh, he, he, suffering economically and the and this is what i'll kind of end on at least my point is that like the way the media the way the democratic party the way this entire system has rolled for so long is a comfortability off of lies let us lie on cnn msnbc all the fucking time so anybody who watches these news channel looking for information about what's actually going on in america is going to receive lies those lies will comfort them because of the fact we're actually not going to confirm the fact that there are massive amounts of people in pain and suffering. We're going to tell you the most important thing is Donald Trump, Donald Trump and Donald Trump. And so people who are suffering never actually have that community of realizing, like, I'm not the only one suffering. And thus, the system continues. But the problem is you can only support a system based upon lies and delusions for so long. And I think that that at the actual essence of everything is the very problem that is at the core of the United States because there were fucking protesters all in on this. There were fucking protesters about to fucking rip down the fucking gates of the White House, MSNBC, CNN, dead fucking silent on it. 
Same thing about the economics. They are literally trying to run a country based upon lies. And the fucking facts of the reality are is that I think that shit has a very short shelf life. And as much as the Democratic Party thinks that is going to be a sustainable way to continue their fucking political projects, I think that's just going to fucking blow up in their face. So, yeah, love to hear any thoughts about that. And Roger, same thing. But yeah. Now, I was just going to say, um, you know, you know how um, the term Wall Street came about? You know where that you know where that came from? No. American capitalism's foundation is slavery. Many Americans are unaware of the role Wall Street played in the slave trade and that enslaved people built the wall for which Wall Street was named. Ironically, enslaved people built the wall to protect Dutch settlers from the raids of the indigenous people of the country. Now, I was just watching this documentary about, it was called uh, The Cost of Inheritance, and it was talking to PBS, and it was talking about um, uh, slavery, so on and so, reparations, so on and so forth. It was slavery that actually financed, that created Wall Street. It, you know, the, the the funds, the money that was made from there is is what it uh what created wall street so it's when you talk reparations it's not about getting it from the government it's also getting it from wall street just a thought i'll put the link in the chat right that's a good point roger thank you so much for that lucy we're gonna try you one more time hon going once going twice Oh hi. Okay, I, I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I I went to the bathroom and uh, I I didn't realize that the other person that I was on. Um, uh, I wanted to to talk a, like um to go back to the whole worker co-op thing, um because I know you guys were talking about that earlier, and uh, and like I um like I've seen really good things come out of worker co-ops. Like I know people that have had a housing co-ops, and I I think. I live in housing co-ops, you know, and I think that those are really great with some exceptions. They do have problems. Um, like one of the problems is that um, you have to, th there's a lot of like things where, where you're not allowed to rent it out, you know, like uh, for housing co-ops. So if for whatever reason, for example, like you can't find a job in your city and you need to move and temporarily rent out a co-op it's like extremely difficult which can can lead to you paying two rents and and there being like vacant housing so like that's like a big issue with like housing co-op co-ops that that people might not know about um uh but like i actually um uh, you know, because Roger talks so much about worker co-ops and uh, I don't know if you guys know that a lot of the boomers are retiring now, right? Uh, so, um, and they're kind of like leaving behind their small businesses. And uh, I asked uh, like one of these organizations, you know, nonprofits and stuff that help people set up worker co-ops, if we could turn our, our family business into a worker co-op. Um, which is like, like, uh, my mom had basically like had a mom and pop, uh, kind of tax shop, you know? Um, 
And uh, it's actually extremely hard because uh, a lot of the worker co-ops now are not totally addressing kind of like the root issue. Um, and like the, the problem that we had, like uh, that, that, that that shop had, especially during the pandemic, is that they leased like a space and they would um, sublease to um, like people that would kind of rent a desk, you know, like a, or a small office space kind of thing. And all of those like tiny commercial rents that they used to like pay the full rent fell through during the pandemic. So they had to like cover that loss in order to keep the business afloat with an SBA loan. But now they have uh, an SBA loan debt, which the government won't forgive because uh, the government basically like through nepotism or whatever, I don't know how they choose which PPP loans to forgive, but like a lot of the small businesses loans did not get forgiven. Um, so basically um, what ended up happening is that the business now has debt on it that it did not have during the pandemic, even, even though it like remains a profitable business and nobody like wants to pay the debt, including the workers that are there. So basically uh, I guess what I'm saying is that like commercial rent is a really big issue right now. It's not just like um, housing rent, you know what I mean? And until you get the issue for commercial rent resolved, and have some kind of like opportunity zones and stuff that that will help small businesses compete with like big businesses for commercial rent because like if you look at big cities for example like New York like Manhattan for example used to be full of small businesses and now small businesses can barely afford rent in in New York so that's right. like really the big issue it's not really just about turning things into worker co-op but about like decreasing the total cost of of like the physical cost of the business so that it, they're more profitable so that the workers can have a bigger share or bigger salaries etc i don't know if that makes sense um so it's not just about owning a business but about owning a profitable business um that 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 where you know like the physical costs are not high just because you know, like when Bank of America, for example, they want to rent a commercial space and they just take like the whole block or whatever, <laughs> you know what I mean? And like, there's no, there's no set aside kind of to, to be like, no, like we're going to keep commercial rent low here. And this is going to be like a small business, um, you know, like area, you know, we're not going to like, you know, just like get, take all this space and allow like the banks, for example, to take up like 500 square feet. And then it costs like a, a fortune to like rent like a desk or something. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> so anyway, th th that's been my experience with it. So like, we can't even really turn it into a worker co-op because it's just impossible to like pay down this debt that was accumulated over the pandemic. And the pandemic really was, it was like a huge cost, like huge loss to the middle class or whatever's left of it. Like it was just, um, so anyway, I, I don't, and, and, and I, what I, what I see some of these nonprofit doing is that they're kind of selling the whole worker co-op idea, you know, in order to keep kind of those, some of those small businesses 
at least use the opportunity to keep it in worker owned hands, but it doesn't solve the problem that uh, you can't just like pass on these losses to like working people. You really have to, I don't know, finance it somehow. So, you know, to lower these commercial rents. Um, yeah. Anyway, I just wanted to to like say that because it's just really been very difficult to go through the the whole worker co-op process, and nobody told me like how you know, <laughs> um, you know they don't really have like an answer to a lot of things. So yeah. In, in other words, the governor we got a terrible governor. <laughs> she's making every, she's just completely like uh, like like New York's. New York City was always expensive. Uh, well, downstate was always expensive. But now, you know what happened? When, um, during the pandemic, a lot of people left the city. Yep. Okay? And they went, came out here to, you know, to Long Island suburbs, or they might've went north of Westchester, whatever the case was, right? And what happened was, um, the rents started coming down because nobody was like, oh, I don't want to catch the COVID. No, whatever the case is, right? So the rents, but what happened was they started offering these deals. At least I can't really speak for the um, the commercial rent, but I know for the uh, residential rent, they, the rent started coming down, but people couldn't hold their anticipation they got really anxious and when they started when they seen it come down they jumped at the opportunity to be like oh i could get a four bedroom apartment for x amount of dollars and the thing was they signed these leases where the lease would expire like soon yeah that's the other issue we have like right yeah go ahead like the the lease that was signed was like a five-year lease so so and then if, if you don't complete the lease term the landlord sues you so that problem that like we, we we they had that problem too and the lease expires in december and like um uh there, there's no way to get out before december without basically getting sued or like getting a lawyer or something obviously like getting a lawyer costs money right so there's that whole aspect of it which like the worker co-op thing doesn't solve they don't have the solutions for a lot of these things these worker co-op organizations like are not really it's it's kind of like a non-profit fix I, i'm not saying it can't be part of the solution but it's it's really not the entire solution like there's a lot of things that they just no it's not especially with the leases and the commercial rent that they just don't it didn't solve the problem. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and yeah, so, so like, that's the issue with, uh, with the worker. And, and, and the other thing is like, uh, with the, especially with like the, um, the bookkeeping businesses is that there's like very few bookkeeping co-ops in New York. There's actually only two. There's one in Brooklyn and there's one in New York state. So I tried to kind of like sell it to kind of get an exemption saying, look, like it would literally be the only worker co-op in all of Queens. And Queens has like 52,000 businesses or whatever. Um, but so technically, if you want a worker co-op, the person that does like your bookkeeping and whatever for your business 
is is basically somebody that works for like PWC, whatever. So it's like all of your professional services up the chain of command, even if you're a worker co-op, are not from a worker co-op. Does that make sense? So like, yeah. I, I was like trying so, to sell that angle, but but they were like, sorry, like we can't finance it, whatever, um, because uh, of this like commercial lease shit and the money that you lost during the pandemic, even though it's technically like a profitable business, like there are businesses that get financing in the tech and startup world, for example, that they don't even mm -hmm. do shit, but they have like some fancy app idea and they get financing. So, you know yeah. what I mean? So it's just like, I don't oh, no, even absolutely. know anymore. Yeah, so, and that's- Yeah, it that's sounds like these problems are unique to New York City, whereas like, like I haven't heard of these issues in in Boston or in Greater Massachusetts. So it's that's what it sounds like the issue might be with with the state. Could could be. Yeah, a lot of it is the state and and like part of the solution would be turning it into a remote business and then you wouldn't have to worry about the commercial stuff at all and then if it's a worker co-op it would be easier to get customers too because you'd be like look you you can offer lower price on your taxes in, in exchange for it, you know, being a little uncomfortable, not having like a brick and mortar place to walk into. Um, but uh, the, the issue in New York City is like unsolvable at this point with the commercial rent and leases for like brick and mortar businesses. And it's kind of sad because like if you think about what makes a big business, like I don't, I mean, I don't know how, how often any of you, like those of you who are not from New York have gone into Manhattan, but when I go into Manhattan now, and this is not the case for the rest of New York, but Manhattan is like a, a ghost town. Like all of the life of New York is in the boroughs because the commercial rent is like way too high and it's basically chain, like big chain stores that can afford to, to be in Manhattan and sometimes not even anymore. Like sometimes even the chains can't afford to be there. So it's like lots of like banks that take up a lot of like square footage. And I mm -hmm. like I really think there needs to be like commercial corridors for like with a reduced rent for small businesses, because otherwise it really reduces like like the the streetscape of New York City. You know what I mean? Or of any city. Oh, yeah, that we're, like, absolutely. I mean, yeah. like for me, like, I don't know, like I New York from my experience has always been expensive. Like I just, I never remember New York being affordable. When I lived in New York, I didn't think it was affordable. And that was over 15 years ago. And I lived in Brooklyn. And even then I still thought New York was very expensive. Uh, but when I was in New York just recently, I stayed in Hell's Kitchen. Um, so I wasn't surrounded by the banks and stuff like that. Like I was surrounded by like restaurants mainly, but, but I, I, I know what you're saying. Like it is, but honestly, Lucy, it's like that. And it that's happening all across the United States where a lot of the cities is just mainly either office space that are taking up a lot of the space or uh, more banks, uh, as you said. And I, I tell people this when they come to Boston and they're like, what, what is there for me to do in Boston? Which restaurant should I go to? And people are always kind of taken aback when the recommendations that I give them are actually outside of Boston. They're Somerville or it's Cambridge. It's the, or it's, it's, or outside of Boston proper. Let's put it that way. And they're like, 
but what about in Boston proper? I'm like, I mean, you can go to those restaurants, but most of the, the best food that you're going to get are in the communities that are not in Boston proper. They're in the areas of Boston that are not as commercialized. Like you want to go to Jamaica Plain. You're going to want to go to Dorchester. You're going to want to go to Cambridge, cross cross the bridge and go over to Cambridge and go over to Somerville. That's really where I mean, the it's best the same. restaurants are. It's the same in New York. Like I wouldn't, I don't even recommend going to Manhattan for a lot of things anymore. Like it's just, um, but I, I I still don't think, like, I do think that you have to fix things in the big cities because otherwise what ends up happening is you have people that, and there are people that are from the big city. Like it's, you know, I, I'm from the city. I'm not from the suburbs. Um, then, the, you know, like, I don't like the solution where people have, where it's just like, just leave New York. It's like, well, if you have like millions of people leaving New York, I'm not saying that you shouldn't leave New York if you want to leave New York. Like I, I, I would love to live somewhere else someday you know um but uh you have people leaving new york and then gentrifying other places it just compounds the problem and then it becomes yeah. more expensive everywhere so i don't think the solution yeah. like i think we have to fix the yeah, problem that's... in new york absolutely yeah i mean we, we just we just had that conversation i think people were going to end up leaving these cities i read an article recently that said by 2100 a lot of the cities are going to be pretty much vacant not because yeah. of cost of living, but because of the climate crisis. And on top of that, I mean, I literally so, oh, like okay, maybe Hell's Kitchen because by by the way, Hell's Kitchen still has a lot of regulated apartments, so it is a place where you'll see like you know lots of foot traffic. But like yesterday, yesterday I was around like Twenty Something Street, and there was literally nobody there. Just like a church, there's like a bunch of like big banks, right? nothing there was like nothing there not even like a halal cart and then there was like a really long line of migrants waiting for the soup kitchen at the church that was like the only thing and like going on in that neighborhood <laughs> so, yeah like, i mean i i i hate to say it but for those of us that live in the states that shut down during the pandemic this is the reality in the big cities now in those states and i've i've noted it's the same way if you come to boston right now it's the same way. Like you're gonna, you come here right now as a tourist, you're gonna be like, where are all the people? A lot of people left <laughs> and yeah, yeah, I'm just keeping it. a lot of people left the and, cities. And then on top of that, so the, the landlords lowered the rent as much, I guess, as they thought they could uh, to try to keep people in the city. That did not work out. And a lot of people, especially when remote work was implemented, and some companies like Facebook and Google told their employees, you can work from home indefinitely. And I had a friend who just, who did this as well during that time, people moved further out in Massachusetts and some people moved to Maine, Vermont. In fact, one of my coworkers, her husband was allowed to work indefinitely, like remotely. So they moved to Maine and they were actually finally able to buy a house and they lived like in the city city, like they lived in the West End. So I just like, this is the reality. And like, if you go to South Carolina, which, you know, that's where my parents live, they didn't shut down at all. So like, if I go visit my parents, it's like nothing ever happened. During the pandemic, it was like nothing ever happened because they didn't shut down. 
So their yeah, area still looks the same. But for those of us that live in like the Boston area, that live in like the New York area, the Blue Los States. Angeles area, San Francisco and stuff like that, like a lot of people left, man, like during the pandemic, they were like, I'm not going to pay all this rent to stay in the city if everything shut down and I can't do anything. Hell, that that was when we moved. That was when we were like, hey, we might be able to buy a house now because they dropped the interest rates dramatically. We did the first time home buyers program. I was working remotely, so I didn't have to pay for like my commuter pass or anything anymore. And so we were able to save a lot more. And we were just like, yo, fuck this. Because it really didn't, and we didn't know, that's what people have to understand. For those of us who lived in New York and Boston and were shut down, we didn't know how long we were going to be locked down. Yeah, so. Yeah, and like, oh, sorry, Roger, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, so, you know, what ended up happening was, right, I think that um, the people who left and went to Long Island, when they, a lot of them, when they started seeing those rent rates coming down and them often dangling the carrot in front of them, a lot of them jump for the carrot too quick. If because it was like, hey, if you don't get it, someone else is gonna get it. If they would have withheld, those rents would have probably would have gotten down to like a thousand dollars. Yeah. But they jumped at when it got down to two thousand dollars. For, I don't know, one bedroom, two bedroom, three, you know, one or two bedroom, whatever the case is. And combine that. And so now they jump back and then the rent rates went up like a, a year later. Okay. But even the, the remote, the remote workers is just like, like you said, I'm not coming back um, mm-hmm. because I have a savings raise. Cause like you said, I'm not paying for like the Metro car. Well, I don't, I don't know what you call it in your city. We call the Metro cards here. But I'm not paying for a Metro card. I'm not paying for an easy pass to go over some bridges, whatever the case is. And um, my kids, I don't have to pay childcare because I'm home when they come home. And um, so what happened was the governor, um, Kathy Loco and um, Eric Police Adams decided to get together and say, oh, we're losing money. And And they tried to say, oh, we need to fund infrastructure. So we need to, uh, so they, they're installing cameras now. They're going to install um, Easy Pass cameras on the, on the free bridges, the, the BMW bridges, uh, Brooklyn, Manhattan, and um, Williamsburg, and also um, the, the other free one, Queensboro Bridge, over there from Queensbridge, right? And they're going to be charging a $15 congestion fee if you drive below 60th Street in Manhattan, Okay. Now their excuse is this. They say it's to oh, it's to finance infrastructure and to relieve congestion. I was like, you can't do both at the same time because if you succeed at one, you fail at the other. So which one is it? Okay. If you if you succeed at uh clearing up traffic, then you won't have money for your infrastructure, which I think is bullshit anyway. But if you have money for your infrastructure, you didn't succeed at clearing up traffic. Okay, so this this is all a game these people are playing. So here's the thing, though. Um, first of all, you know they can have a public bank if they want to finance um, infrastructure, but they lost money when nobody was riding the trains because people decided that they was gonna uh, remote work. That's that's what, that's what they're trying to recoup. 
and the and you know the, the infrastructure is freaked up anyway it's loud it's clunky it's it's like it's it's noisy you know what i mean and it, it's just it's just absolutely wait a minute wait a minute roger don't even complain about the new york subway because at least your subway shows up and at least your subway doesn't stop at 1 a.m okay yeah 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 at least i know i can still take the subway in new york i know and that's the thing that i lived there i said and i lived in brooklyn and late at night if i was leaving the bar in manhattan and i would have to be like me and my roommate would be like you know what it might take a minute for the train to get here but i knew that motherfucker was coming whereas in boston if you leave the bar when the bar closes good luck <laughs> Good luck cuz there's no train, there's no bus. You need to take a Uber or Lyft. The cabs sure ain't going to pick your ass up. The cabs don't like picking up drunk people. That's why when Uber and Lyft took off here in Boston, that's why they they actually they did so well because the cabbies, they don't like to pick up drunk people from the bars here in Boston. So, at least you have a subway that yeah, is that's not how we should be thinking of things that's the what do you call that the digging from the bottom the race to the bottom oh. no there is no there's that's... no race to the bottom you have a 24 7 subway and we don't i don't i don't know of any other city that has a 24 7 subway not even dc well that's what i feel like like gets left out of the equation when people are like oh new york is too expensive leave it's like, well, I mean, not really, because since you have transportation, uh, even if you, you're you paying a lot of rent, like, you're not buying a car. Like, a car is a lot of money. So th- that's a lot of, like, money down the drain. So I feel like it's still good to have a city that has, like, 24-7 transportation. But the problem oh, is, like, the fucking shutdown, like... Uh, Honestly, I really blame a lot of these like progressive candidates for their whole policies during the shutdown because like like in you know in the Bronx and Queens, you know, like fucking AOC and Jamal Bowman were like, "Oh, you know, be safe, you have to stay inside." And what ended up happening, a lot of the small businesses went under during that time too because like um people were leaving the city. Like I was going to uh Westchester to go to a restaurant or something. Why? Because a lot of the businesses in the, like there was shutdown in the Bronx at the same time. And they had left the, the, the restaurants open in Westchester. It was the only place to go. So the suburbs ended up getting a lot of that extra business when, when it was like the Bronx needed that business more. And it was all because of these like, like city progressives um, who like insisted on a set, not, not just the first shutdown, but like a second, a third shutdown and in our area, we already had herd immunity because we were like the first ones to get hit. Like people kept working during the pandemic because it's like a high immigrant population. We had herd immunity. Like this is like on the books in our district everywhere. So it was just like a total waste of time. We had like second, third shutdowns. Like I, so many of the small businesses went down the drain and there's no accountability from like any of these progressives about what they actually did to to like all of our you know the the small businesses and all of the 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 jobs in the area like you know <laughs> oh yeah it was it, it was it was like i can't speak for the, the 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 new york city council people but i know the uh the the, the state legislature i was like first of all 
if we're in the middle of the pandemic, y'all should, that was the perfect time for them to pass the New York Health Act, cover everybody, kick all the private health insurance companies out of New York State, make them, they would be making them illegal to operate. So that at least would have taken care of, like they had an opportunity to actually um, um, do something, you know, like I said, pass the New York Public Banking Act to fix the infrastructure and, 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 and all of that. But it's just like you had, it's like, what do you call it? Snatch and defeat from the jaws of victory. You know what I mean? That's exactly, it's like, yeah, we wanted you to do this, not what you're doing over there. What are you doing over Like they're worrying about gas stoves. Like the New York City, New York City, or was it the state? They was they was talking about oh, remember this big thing about the progressives like yeah, AOC pushing gas stoves. Check this out. So people may not know this, but New York State is number one in lowest emissions. Okay, in in, in lowest CO two emissions. So now it's like they're just making shit up about gas stoves. It's like no freaking do something. Fix the infrastructure, you know, fix, you know, uh, oh, we was, they, these people gave themselves a raise, right? You know, how, first of all, the New York City Council gets $148,000 a year and the New York State Legislature gets $142,000 a year. Now, how that works, I have no idea how a higher government gets lower than the lower government, but at the same time, when, um, one of the one of the uh, progressives in the state senate there was like six or eight of them that got elected back in 2018 they all wrote that cynthia nixon aoc squad thing or whatever the case is i talked to this to this woman who just got elected she was going to be i know lucy knows her, uh, ramos so she knows who i am she knows my name because i approached her and I said, you're going to be the Senate labor chair. They had this thing I, I, where they was going to be at. They had like Chuck Schumer trying to do the cha-cha-cha, some bullshit like that or whatever. I was like, fuck's this guy doing here? But anyway, um, I talked to her. I was like, look, at that time, I said, look at this. Look at these stacks. Look at the out-of-reach project report. At that time, I said, you're going to be the Senate labor chair. There needs to be a $45 minimum wage, but I don't want to leave small business behind. So you need to create a tax subsidy that would cover 85 to 100% of the lady, ladies, 85 to 100% of the labor costs for small mom and pop businesses and franchises, okay? So this way they don't feel that hit. So they don't have to worry, but we subsidize big business all the time, okay? They could have did this with the small mom and pop shops or whatever. And then after years went by, they gave themselves two raises. When they first got in, they was making $79,500 since the late 90s. So then in 2020, they gave themselves a raise to $110,000. And then and then they gave themselves another raise in 2022 to $142,000. I'm like, yo, what about us? Can we get some money too? I'm not mad if you getting money, but what about the rest of us? <laughs> okay. And then, they, and then Ramos does, oh, we're going to raise the minimum wage now. So why didn't you attach that to 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 that bill that the Senate Majority Leader Cousins was trying to do instead of doing it afterwards. So then Senator Ramos was trying to do, uh, oh, we're going to do a $21 minimum wage. And the governor was like, no, we're going to do 17. And somehow they ended up at 16 for New York State. So it's just like, 
these things can be solved, but it's the wrong people that are trying to solve them. Speaking of which, Lucy, if I would invite, I, you know, I, I invite you if you want to come, it's, it's up to you. But um, tomorrow at 530 is going to be uh, UniteNY.org. Those are the 501c4 people that are pushing that bill, that amendment that would make us a, a citizen ballot initiative state. I'll send it to you if you, you know, to if an invite, if you want to come, cool. You know, it's, it's a, it's a Zoom thing. So if anybody else in, who's living here in New York State wants to be invited to that, I can put that in the chat. But um, yes, that's what I got. Awesome. Let's bring in Be Easy. Be Easy, you just have to unmute. There you go. Hey, what's up? Could you hear me? I can hear you. What's going on? Not too much. Um, yeah, so it was a lot of things said and uh, earlier that I want to chime in on. So I don't want to like take the conversation back too much further. So I'll try to be uh, pretty concise uh, with what I have to say. But in um, in regards to uh, the immigration, I think many people are having a disingenuine discussion around it because it is very nuanced. I do uh, take uh, the points where people are saying, hey, do not uh, blame, you know, the migrants or immigrants um, legal or illegal. And I share that sentiment. I I'm not with uh, generalizing groups and, you know, lumping everyone up into being, uh, you know, like a negative uh, connotation or stereotype or something like that. But People bog the conversation down to where if you point out what's actually happening currently or has happened, that is xenophobic or it's just like forbidden to even speak on. I'm out here in California. I know some of people that were affected by some Latino gangs that like firebombed them and just like got them out of there. I think uh, Roger mentioned earlier on the city council. These are like Democrats as well. You know, uh, California is a Democratic state. They're calling little black kids monkeys. They were talking about how that they can consolidate power to undermine the blacks. And they wanted to oust a member because he was with the blacks. All of these people come from immigrant backgrounds. And when you say that, people are like, well, don't generalize. I'm not generalizing. I'm talking about these specific people and the pattern. And sometimes people say, well, it's not all. No one is saying all. And even if I can see that it's not the majority, we still have to deal with the problematic amount, the influential amount that's causing consequential damage. These are people in high ranking positions. Uh, so even if I think that everyone uh, of the rank and file is just uh, all gung ho and loving of black people, when you have people in positions of power, not only uh, attacking, but like targeting, uh, like uh, violently as well. And that's what's going on in a lot of areas in Chicago. They are being, and my brother is from Chicago. So 
many of the areas they're dumping to are predominantly black. And the Democrats have been saying this on record that if they get enough bodies over there, they can start doing things to redistrict. So it is unfortunate they're, that they're being used as political fodder. But what are black people supposed to do? Just say, hey, no, it's not the migrants fault when the dude is yelling at a black woman saying that you're lazy. Hey, sorry, not the migrants fault. No one is saying, well, some people might be saying, but there are many of people that are saying, hey, look, we're not we're not even telling you not to give them anything. We're saying, get just give us the same thing that you got gave them. Or why don't you have the same energy? And they have in Brighton Park in Chicago. There's not even barely any black people. There is mainly um like an immigrant enclave, but it's uh, like Asians and other Hispanics, they were vehemently complaining at city council saying that they've been there for years. So I think a lot of people that are genuine are critiquing the policy. This immigration policy is not okay because they are weaponizing and it's a form of Actually, it's a form of like um, ethnic uh, cleansing, too. It just doesn't seem it's not as severe and as brutal as, uh, you know, what's going on in Gaza. But they're doing that to make black people politically impotent, politically obsolete. That is a form of ethnic cleansing to have a group of people just uh cemented to, to obscurity where everyone would just come over here and just step on you, you know? So I, I think that people do need to have a more serious discussion, not in a way to say, Hey, all the migrants are like that because it used to be families too. And, and, uh, but now most of it, they're describing them as military aged or working aged men, you know? And some, even of the gentlemen, they said, Hey, look, uh, because I'm not acting like every one of them is getting the red carpet. A lot of them are getting benefits, but there's so many of them that some of them are just left to fend for themselves. And some of them are saying, hey, they want to go home, etc." So just like anyone, an American citizen, once you're in poverty, you are going to turn to nefarious activities. You're in survival mode. I don't think that... Uh, all of these people uh, that are from here and uh, that are immigrated here are just impoverished and they just want to be doing that crime. But when you're in those conditions, you know, um, those things just become commonplace. So there is so one, thing, one thing I just want to interject for just a second, because yeah. one of the things is uh, one of the things that Michael said was that immigrants they're they're here illegally so I, I had to correct that because not all immigrants are here illegally so that's that's the thing so i had to correct that and it was obvious you know later on he mentioned he was talking about the migrants so the vocabulary terms matter so if you say that immigrants are here illegally that's a blanket statement and Sabi, this is just to be easy's point, or maybe just to add to, or, or maybe bring another perspective. I, I, you know, the the red carpet that we're talking about that's happening now, where you know maybe some of the immigrants are getting uh, benefits that even citizens aren't getting. 
I don't know where that's coming from. You know, where those policies, they weren't there before. You know, when I came as a kid, <clears throat> these things were not there as far as I know. And also me as an immigrant, my mother, my mother, you know, God bless her, who came here a few years before I got here as a kid. And, and, I, and we came here legally. We migrated here legally. And, and so and we were blessed that we could do that. But my mother hates it. My mother vehemently hates when any immigrant comes in and gets automatic anything. My mother hates that because she's had to put in years, decades of work to get the little bit that she got. You know what I mean? So many immigrants, including myself, we don't like it when somebody jumps the line or sort of gets something without having to pay your dues, I guess, if you will. No matter yeah, that's... how small it is, we, we do not like that because we feel like if you're going to come here, you got to pay your dues. And not, not saying that, you know, everything that you end up paying is good because a lot of it is hard, hard work. But it's just something that we as immigrants, even for myself, like, uh, don't jump the line. Like, you got to, like, there's a line, you know, and you got you to gotta work your way up that line. So we don't like that. But, you know, to ask to be easy, I, I don't know what's changed. I don't have any interaction with the people that are making these policies. But I, it would be interesting to understand why these things are happening and, and the reasons behind them. Because well, that's the what... woman said, the woman said on MSNBC, what I played for you guys earlier tonight, the woman said there is a labor shortage in this country. She gave it away herself when she said, like, the voters in Iowa want, you know, Stephanie, yeah, uh, yeah the, the, the voters in Iowa want immigration reform. And she went on to say there's a labor shortage in this country. So she gave, she let the cat out the bag. That's why this is happening. But part of the other thing is, is too, is that I still see families coming across the border. I still see children coming across the border, like from the videos that, that I've seen. But the thing is, is like, you know, yeah, like we covered the issue in Chicago. We covered the issue in California, but the problem is some of the statements that are being said, said about the migrants, these are some of the same things that white people say about black people in this country. So we, we have to be careful because this is exactly what the ruling class wants. They're trying to pit worker against worker, not saying there aren't grievances, not saying that there should not be concern because we address that. When we talked about Chicago and we talked about California and I said, that's not fair. Obviously, you should be taking care of American citizens first. That being said, though, we cannot make blanket statements like, well, immigrants do this and immigrants do that because we don't like it when people make blanket statements about black people. So, like, for example, that example of the guy from Venezuela who made the comment that's a fucked up comment and he shouldn't have done that. However, that was that one guy. So for example, how does that relate to the black community? If we hear about a story on the news where people say this black guy killed this white woman, is that representative of all black men? No, it's not. So that's why we have to be careful. Stephanie rule. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. And I, and, uh, 
And I don't think I was uh, saying like, oh, I try to be clear that is, you know, that it's never, um, you know, um, like I'm not like generalizing a group, but I'm talking about like uh, in even in that specific instance. Yes, it was that one man, but I'm talking about there are other people uh, that have those grievances as well that they're uh, they're apprehensive to voice it because, you know, there's always resistance or, you know, you can't say that, you know, because, you know, what about someone else's feelings? And, you know, the people that are living through this, you know, they they have feelings too. I don't think any group should be generalized um, and say, hey, all uh, groups do that. I'm, I'm speaking of specific instances and, you know, like how it, how it impacts, uh, you know, what people are feeling on, on the ground. And when they, do, I know like RBN will talk about it, but the reason why I was bringing that up was um, sometimes people are against uh, certain, uh, you know, not only just the the illegal, but sometimes the legal, not necessarily the the policy, but when they come in and they're like, uh, Vivek Ramaswamy, you know, when they come in and they're just uh, kind of like a figurehead to attack, and most times they attack black people. They just did uh, Nikki Haley, who says she's a person of color, but then uh, when she uh, when she was running and registering, she she puts white, and then they say, and then she's saying America has never been a racist country. And then she said when she first came here, she experienced racism. So uh, those are things that I was just saying. Like I, I think that it's a nuanced discussion around that uh, that people should talk about. Like if I say yeah. that, hey, Vivek is like this, I don't think that everyone from his Brahmin caste is like that, but I'm saying he has a following of other people of whatever race right. and skin tone. And that's and what I'm saying is you give the platform to have the discussion, you know, and you uh, push back a, as you feel it's, it's needed, but other people won't have the discussion at all. And, and some people are, you know, extremely, uh, like Eric said, I know people that are, um, you know, of all different ethnic backgrounds and, and, and they are like more like radical against the immigrant. They're like deport, send them back, build the wall. And I'll be trying to be like as sympathetic, um, as possible. But, you know, I also can't ignore, um, you know, uh, grievances that are, uh, you know, very real and very impactful that, that people just want you to brush under the rug. But, right, um, and, and one thing I will add too, and I, I want to bring in um, uh, Lucy for a second, then Linda, is that uh, Nikki Haley is white adjacent, and I, I don't care what the fuck Nikki says, Nikki, honey, you are white adjacent. She can blend in with white people more so than someone like Vivek can. Because the thing is, when you talk about people from India, there's different shades. Nikki Haley is still light enough to blend in with the white community. Vivek, however, on the other hand, is not. And you would see the difference, particularly here in Boston, at some of the universities that I've worked at, you'll see the difference between the way that someone who is Nikki Haley's complexion is treated at like a Harvard or MIT or a Boston University versus the way that 
someone who is Vivek Ramaswamy's complexion is treated. So even even within when it comes to uh, India, colorism is still an issue there as well. And when they come to the United States, that colorism is still an issue. Vivek, unlike Vivek, however, was born in the United States. So I do just want to clear that up for people. His parents immigrated to the country, but he was born in the U.S. Let's bring in uh, Lucy, Linda, and we'll go back to Be Easy. Yeah, and also, like, aside from the skin color thing, um, he's Hindu, and that's actually, like, uh, kind of a demo that the Republicans are trying to cater to because um, a lot of them are kind of, like, Hindu fascists, you know? Like, the like Modi supports Israel, and um, there's there's so many of them. There's, like, Vivek, Nikki Haley, and Tulsi Gabbard, um, and they're all kind of catering to that kind of, like, anti-Muslim global alliance. So I, like, I think that's what people, people don't think about that. They're just like, you know, thinking about like, oh, they're a minority, but they're kind of like a minority that they're, that the Republican party is catering to. So it's kind Dinesh of a D'Souza. Thing. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I agree with that a hundred percent. And I, I, you know, like I used to, like, I, I'm, I, I used to be kind of on, uh, I do agree with be easy. Like, uh, like, I, I, I think it's kind of funny because, like, I feel like I used to be more like, oh, no, you know, immigrants should come. And I've kind of switched places with Nick um, <laughs> a little bit. Like, but I do think it has a lot of nuance. And I, I think some of the nuance is the fact that um, the, the thing that people don't understand about the immigration is that it's not legal and illegal. Because the issue is that there's lots of legal immigrants that also take our jobs because a lot of, like, the categories uh for work um you know like the h1bs for example that you know trump said that stuff he you know he said like oh the h1bs well it's true because like they know the corporations know that they can give somebody with an h1b a job and they can essentially control them because uh they know that that person can't uh lose the job without leaving the country so that's how they get a more controllable workforce and it's the same thing with the illegal so there's you know like like the problem with the illegal is basically that it's kind of like construction and farm labor and stuff like that. Um, and they don't have a set aside category for those people, which is like, actually you could just make a category, but I think there's always going to be resentment as like, if there's like one unemployed American, there's always going to be resentment. So like the priority should be like, first you have to make sure that all Americans are employed first. And then you can see, which categories require like of labor really require foreign labor you know and as long as they don't do that like they don't do it by the numbers there's always going to be resentment you know of people like coming because i don't remember people being there have always been people coming in and i don't remember people being resentment resentful about it when the economy was good but when the economy is bad, people are going to resent it because they're unemployed, you know? <laughs> so- and everyone's fighting for the same jobs. Once you, uh, Noel brought it up earlier about they're, they're not bringing over more people to fight for the lawyer jobs or the MSNBC jobs or, uh, you know, it's more for people uh, that would be considered the working class or blue collar jobs. And it's more about the policy 
and uh like you were saying lucy is also the the legal ones too they did it for um silicon valley where they um used all of those visas which uh bill clinton uh you know helped uh you know enact but once they do that they were there's a lot of nepotism you know um which is you know this happens which is normal but no i do think they do it for white-collar jobs i think that they they do the same thing for professional jobs and i think a lot of americans are losing their professional jobs now to legal immigrants um, which is why I don't really believe in demonizing the illegal immigrants. Like, I think that the black community feels that more because they're already suffering financially um, overall, like as a percentage, you know, ratio, whatever, you know, like, um, but, uh, but they're taking professional jobs too. And they're competing for professional jobs. And I say this all the time, like uh, you have people in the United States that are competing for professional jobs that have so much student debt and then they'll just import somebody you know like a nurse from the philippines or somebody that that went to indian institute of technology and they're they're like look this person has no student debt they don't have to pay anything back they have they had a federal government subsidized education in their home country Um, no no blemishes on the credit score yeah they have the h1b and there and and now a lot of these recruitment companies too are controlled by foreigners right so they're placing their people in our economy and we have no say over who gets placed whether it's professional jobs construction jobs whatever and like i'm pointing this out i'm like from an immigrant family you know and but like now that i think about it they did the same thing back then because like when my parents came to this country we landed in harlem right harlem like (laughs) and um it was like uh the housing was all messed up in the area at the time and it it actually does matter right for you to prioritize your people first there's barely any black people in harlem right now right there's nobody in harlem right now there's no black people in harlem and then the the gentrification eventually hit us anyway why because the housing was all messed up there was like the crack epidemic, right? So like, like I, I remember, like my parents tried to like fix up an apartment or, you know, like one of these like abandoned places and it got filled up by like all of these drugs, right? So they were never able to do it. And and that's because of the lack of money that that they didn't put into the black community. So if they had put into money into the black community and there had been like home ownership at least, we would have actually been better off because we wouldn't have to had to deal with all of these issues, you know, like the drug, you know, like the <laughs> drug infested like houses that couldn't be fixed up because it was like the whole neighborhood was like, you know, ri- like all crime ridden and stuff. And because that's why Harlem- if you land in a place with that's all crime ridden, then you're screwed. Like, so. But Harlem, <laughs> Harlem, but Harlem wasn't always like that. Harlem wasn't always but- crime ridden. It wasn't it always was when- like that. But when my parents arrived, it was like it was like like the entire what? What year? It was like in the early eighties. Well, yeah, that was that was because that was, and then you also had Reagan's war on drugs. But also, like they put they took the mafia brought drugs into black neighborhoods in the inner city. They did the same thing in Baltimore. That's when things started to change in Baltimore. They did it in Boston as well. Exactly. Same thing to Detroit. 
these were thriving black communities in these cities that were actually doing pretty well and they were working class communities now don't get me wrong you had some uppity negroes in harlem don't get me wrong you had some uppity people in harlem but for the most part like you could be working class and live there and still have a decent life same thing with detroit same thing with baltimore maryland and then drugs came in. Before drugs came in, they sent a lot of these jobs overseas. Uh, they decided to find a way to downsize. A lot of black people were laid off. White people that had the money to leave these cities left. That's the white flight. And then, then you, trans, you, you move on towards the 80s when they brought drugs into those cities. That was basically supposed to eradicate the rest of the black folk that were still left there who were not supposed to make it. We were never supposed to make it in this country. This is what people have to understand. We were never supposed to go beyond anything other than slaves in this country. And we were definitely not supposed to prosper in this country. That's part of the reason why they don't want to give black people cash reparations, because they don't want us to be on equal footing with white people in this country when we talk about wealth. But these cities that people call crime ridden and people say they're, you know, these poverty areas, they were not always that way. So when people give you this talking point and they say black neighborhoods are so bad or black on black crime and all that shit, you remind them of a time when it wasn't that way and what came into those neighborhoods that made it that way. Go ahead, Linda. So now what I was just going to simply say is that, like, as I'm listening to everyone talk, I think the main word that pops to mind is exploitation, um, specifically of the ruling class trying to exploit, you know, whether it's migrants who are coming here, whether it's legally, illegally, or whether it's, you know, even the working class here, you know, and I think unfortunately what you're seeing happening, uh, I think, who is it? Noel, like she's kind of alluded to this, I think maybe earlier um, in the conversation was this idea of like the late like kind of the end stages of capitalism, right? So the idea that, you know, okay, we have unfortunately this increasing class of, you know, the working class who just are really struggling. And instead of maybe, you know, when we talked about that whole, the labor movement that was going on, um, how there was just drive to, okay, well, let's make sure, you know, folks are unionizing, we're trying to fight for better wages. But now what you're seeing is this increase in, you know, having migrants who are coming here because their focus is on, let's just try and get, you know, the cheapest labor possible. Um, I think one of the concerns that I have even with that, and again, I'm not anti anyone actually coming to this country for a better life, because I do understand that there's way more to it than just someone coming here. It's no, well, why are they coming here? Like what happened in their country that led to them having to flee? And so, I, my concern has always been ex, the exploitation and not the other thing they don't talk about. And I, I'm rarely hearing this spoken about, but I think it needs to be talked more about isn't just the um, underground. It's like the underground economy. So whether it's like sex trafficking, whether it's child trafficking, whether it's, um, you know, and what we're talking about in terms of, you know, they're not really kind of counting at adequately, like who actually is coming here, particularly young, young children, women, whomever. And so, if something happens um, where when you think about human beings being like this, like use a reusable resource, right? That's actually really what's the reusable resource. It's the human being. It's not necessarily, um, okay, what labor they can provide. But if we're thinking about it in terms of, okay, you don't put them on the books, like what really are they going to be able to do for whomever it is that's like exploiting them? And I think that's the larger concern I have is that when we talk about like the underground economy that's going to unfortunately like, 
become more of a problem um, with the migrant issue. And I think that's, I think the larger uh, concern that I think needs to be addressed a bit more. Um, I did watch a clip, I think the other day about how, I think in, I think it's in, it's, yeah, it's New York City, how they're now trying to have curfews, I think, um, instituted for some of these migrant centers. But at the same time, that's still not kind of getting around the fact that like, you know, whether or not it's normal time of day, something is happening, you know, if you're not really adequately kind of monitoring folks, you know, they could still be taken advantage of. So, but here's, here's the bigger problem, you know, and I've been listening to all of the discussion around this issue, but it really comes back to the root cause comes back to capitalism. If the whole, the whole economic um, ideology is to extract and exploit labor for resources so that the profit or the excess from that labor flows upward to the, you know, top of the economy, then you're going to be in a perpetual cycle of needing more resources at the bottom to exploit. And like I've always said, this is a plantation nation. And if that is your original paradigm, if your original labor management paradigm is you at the bottom work for free and everything that you produce, the benefit of that comes up to the top. That is, I mean, when you look at it, that ideology is permeating our society to this day. And to Linda's point, when you factor in immigration and you're saying, okay, we're bringing in these people either legally with the um, visas, you're doing it. The reason they're trying to bring those people in is to undercut the labor that you have to produce in this country, because you're saying if we have to send them to college and they have to get education, there's a cost associated with it. And at some point you're looking at that being an expense in terms of the preparation of labor. Well, if I can just go get these people from India and China and they're already educated in this and that, we can bring them in and pay them less because they're so happy to get here. And we don't have to consider what it means to to deal with the labor that this nation's educational system produces because there's all this debt that they we know they have to pay. But again, the reason there is so much debt associated with education, again, is capitalism. Oh, you got to let the banking industry do all these loans and these people have to pay the loans back. I mean, and then when you talk about the illegal immigration, they're cutting at the bottom end of the labor chain. So, oh, we can get these people from Mexico to work in these food processing plants and we can pay them less. And if they're illegal, we can pay them even less and have more control over them because there will be nowhere for them to go to the authorities without risk of being deported. So all of these things, you know, and to Lucy's point about you know, having undocumented people in this country, especially women and children, that creates a black market for child exploitation, for sex trafficking. And, you know, hell, we don't even know it may be somebody harvesting in there because if you're not tracking them, then who knows what's happening to them. But we know there is a byproduct of this capitalist system that is built in to try and exploit people. So every which way you turn, if you don't have a system 
that says we're fundamentally about creating opportunity, but more so than that, we're going to try and take care of people. You get this feeding frenzy going on. And that's just all that we see is the same plantation where they're doing everything to keep the the um, labor costs low to free and freeing up all those resources to flow up to the top. And remember when the pandemic first started, the knee-jerk reaction of Congress was to make monies available to the big businesses. Then everybody else was factored in after the fact. But if you ever had an opportunity and the impetus and justification to create a universal health care system, that was it. But they ignored it because they're about Pfizer got to make a million dollars, you know, and Moderna has to make a gazillion dollars, even though a lot of that root research is provided through the government. But it's just like this system is so effed up because it's all about capital, which is the ownership class being able to extract everything out of everybody. And it's just, it's so corrupt. And, yeah, and one uh, thing I will add too, um, I remember because hiring like migrants is not a new thing. I remember when I worked at Outback Steakhouse, our dishwashers were all illegals, all of them. And one of them was a 14-year-old boy. Now, my manager got fired, not for that reason, because he actually got fired because he was stealing money from petty cash. That's a whole other story. But 14-year-old boy was one of our dishwashers. My manager was paying them under the table. That still happens across the country. Again, that was years ago. This happened when I was in high school. It happened when I was in college because I always I waited tables like when I was in school. Like this has been going on for a long time. And the dishwashers and I, I lived in, in the South. So the dish, all the dishwashers were illegal. They did not have documentation. Um, they were not like the 14 year old boy. That was against state law. You can't work in South Carolina as 14 years old. So like they hired him, they let him work there. Like it was, it's just stuff like that. Like I've seen this happen for years. And then not only that, but there are other like local businesses in the South that do this shit all the time. Go to a market. A lot of the people that work at flea markets are paid under the table. You'd be surprised. So the thing is, is that the government never really caught up to these, these businesses that allow these things to happen in the first place. A lot of the rich people and some of the rich Republicans that live in places like Newport Beach, California, and they live in the OC, they complain about immigrants, they complain about migrants, but they have no problem hiring these migrants to do their landscaping and to be their housekeeper. See, this is the thing that a lot of people need to point out when we talk about hypocrisy. So when we talk about like the Democratic Party letting migrants in, we need to remember too that a lot of these Republicans and some of these Republican senators that make these statements against uh, immigrants and stuff like that and illegal immigrants, they have these people on their payroll. They hire them to take care of their property. And here's the, and other the thing. And they hire them because they know Americans not going to put up with that bullshit, especially for the type of pay that they're trying to offer. 
And the moment they get out of line, you can just sit back and threaten them with deportation. So that's right. another thing that has happened. And talk to I've t- you talk to people that live in those parts of California, and they'll tell you in those rich communities, a lot of those people, and I, I said Newport Beach because Newport Beach tends to be heavily Republican. Orange County tends to be more Republican in Southern California. They make all these statements about migrant people, but they hire those people to take care of their home. And that's the part that they leave out. And here's the other thing. When they put those people to work in those food processing plants and this, that, and a third, you rarely hear of the government going after the employer saying, oh, you've hired all these illegal aliens. We're going to put you out. We're going to tax you. We're going to do they. And that is a part of the Republican thing as well as the Democrat. When you can get that type of labor and exploit it, the whole ownership ruler class turns a blind eye and they will punish the people at the very end of the chain and threaten you with exportation and this, that, and a third. But there is no real energy to police the businesses that are benefiting from that reduced rate labor. And that's because this nation's fundamental paradigm has been free labor. And so as close as you can get to free, they're cheering you on. And it's just, like I say, the whole thing is so perverse until it doesn't make any sense. And then you look at your political system and see it being gamed by lobbyists And so you're getting people in there who could care less about what's happening to, you know, mainstream and working class America. That's how the middle class got hollowed out because they didn't care. And there is no way you can even think about, you know, exporting industry over to other countries to exploit their free labor and not realize that you are hollowing out a working class in this country. And now you want to talk about, oh, there's a wealth gap. Well, hell yeah, it's a wealth gap. And then you got all these poor white folks mad because they see their what they perceive as their jobs that are remaining here being taken by other people. And they're, you know, have been made to believe that it's the immigrants' fault, it's the black people's fault, and this and that. And everybody's fighting in the lower caste of the lower class. And the people at the top are running away with it. We got more. The only way we can have the number of billionaires and millionaires that we do is that wealth is being extracted out of this economy one way or the other. And it's just, yeah. it's just. Pro- so they have, um, what do you call it? Uh, oh, yeah. Going back to what Lucy was talking about, how it's also happening at the top in the professional class. I've seen this myself working in in information technology. So there's like when I was when I was in it, and I'm pretty sure it's the same way now. Most of them that are in it are um, either Asian or Indian um, that come here. Like like Lucy was saying, they already have no debt. They got training in their country, so on and so forth. So they would much rather hire them than train. Americans in, in IT, and if they do train us, then it's it, the way they do it is with these uh, with these boot camps, 
okay? The, in the at least the boot camps are not really because because the thing is, there's really no what do you call that thing? Um, financial aid for it, right? It's not like how we had technical schools back then. So with these boot camps, they'll be like um, cram all of this stuff into one week, and they charge you four thousand dollars. Yeah, you know what I mean. So you know that there's no thing for that. There's no financial. Unlike back in the days where you had where you you would go for like a year, you know, six months, nine months, twelve months. So you get to pick up as that slow osmosis process, and everything's not really being thrown at you. You get to really like take it in. You get some financial aid for it. Now they just go. Oh, just just skipping it and, and go get go get them over there. That's why there's the skills gap here. Also, Stephanie Rule should have completed that sentence when she said we have a labor shortage here. Instead, it's like, no, nah, we don't have a we don't have a labor shortage. We just have a shortage of people that's willing to work for pennies. Okay, that's that's what that really right. was supposed to be about. No one's trying to work for pennies because it's it's too expensive, you know. Right. And uh, and um, I think that's the other thing I was going to say. No, it's uh, it's it's a hundred percent true because the thing is, is that no, and and we shouldn't want to work for those wages, right? Mm-hmm. So you guys got to remember, the past two years, this all happened under Joe Biden's presidency, where we had an enormous amount of labor strikes. Mm-hmm. That was all under Joe Biden. See, I like to remind people of these things. Mm-hmm. And because I'm not pro Donald Trump either, but I want to remind people, a lot of this stuff happened under Joe Biden's presidency, where the workers were pushing back. Black voters are pushing back. And what did uh, Jerome Powell do? He was in he was being questioned by uh, Senator Warren and he admitted, he said, no, I'm trying to raise rates to get people back to work to cause a to cause a hurting on the economy. Yeah, he, he said it needs more pain. He said, people, yes. essentially, people need to suffer. Him and most of the economists are saying that. And then they were even complaining that people are saving too much. They yeah. were like, yeah. like describe. Yeah, these people piss me off. I'm like, yo. And, and oh, I know what I was going to say. So, yeah, Lucy, what you was talking about before about, yes. The, so you have to have, that's why it was stress, not just having a worker co-op on an island itself surrounded by a whole bunch of corporate chains and stuff multi-stakeholder worker cooperatives where you have a supply chain of worker cooperatives working in tandem kind of like what going back to what you were talking before a couple hours ago about the nations that establishing um, when you say multi-polarization it's really an international cooperative that these nations are doing with the BRICS and all the so to cooperate with each other like a cooperative you know what i mean so it, it so it's so we have to not only do that, we have to build out supply chains. Um, and to answer what Noel was talking about before, about like, uh, well, they'll, they'll go to another country or whatever. You know, I don't know. Um, England has that. And we should have it too, at least have it in a state, have it in states, uh, right of first refusal laws, okay, where it says that the moment that you decide that the moment that you decide that you're going to go public, you know, become a publicly traded company on the stock market and have shareholders, or if you have a history of egregious behavior and putting the community at risk, the environment at risk, 
uh, screwing over your workers, your customers, before you automate any further, before you decide that you're going to outsource out the country or whatever the case is, you have to make an offer to your workers to purchase the company to transition ownership to them. So you would have a situation where the workers would get some government help to you know, get a loan or whatever the case is, a low interest loan or whatever, to actually purchase the company. Now, I had an idea as that as a, as a ballot initiative where let's say if the workers don't have the, the, the money to purchase it, then in, let's say either the government lends them or grants them the money or maybe have the government do it and then they work off that loan. Once they work off that low interest loan, now the company transitions ownership to the workers. So I'm just saying that there are things that that we can do. You know what I mean? Just like there are solutions. It's it's, it's it, it just has to come from a, a bottom level up. So just like when in Ohio, when it was talking about how I right, they passed the amendment to allow for abortion, and now the um, what do you, and now the legislature is trying to make the, the Ohio legislature is trying to make it hard so that the uh, courts can't. Um, can't they're trying to know their power so that they can't say oh you like you can't do that with abortion or whatever here's a here's a thing everything is a chess move they make a move you make a move they make a move you make a counter move right so ohio also has the power of the veto referendum so the the ohio government can pass that law but ohioans can run a veto referendum to repeal their laws you know what i mean so everything is is going to be a fight Everything is going to be when they make a move, then you got to figure out, okay, what's my counter move? Because it's not going to be, um, I think sometimes we might get caught up in um, like the Mike Tyson knockout blow. Because I mean, if any, if everybody remembers Mike Tyson in his prime, he used to knock motherfuckers out in the first round, the second round. I remember you know that I mean? game, Mike Tyson's punch out, and I know I can never. Yeah, Sabby, if. If, let me tell you this: If most people say they passed that game, <laughs> it's cap. Like you, you had to be elite to pass that game. I, I, I never got, I never got up to Mike Tyson. I got up to Mr. Sandman back then. But here's the thing: When you really think about it, how twisted is it that we, as the people, have to fight, fight our own and go back and forth with the people we elect? Because they're trying to control us and control our lives in, in ways that we don't appreciate. The whole thing is so ridiculous. But again, it highlights and underscores the fact that one of the major purposes of government in the United States is to control yes. the people. That is clear. And that's my last that. statement. I got to get out of here, y'all. It's almost three. All right, I have an well, idea. Thanks for dropping them gems. I have an idea. Check yeah, I got to go in about five minutes, too. It, it is getting pretty late. But go ahead, Rob. Check this out. What about if we were to amend the state constitutions and the U.S. Constitution, right, where we, we, um, we expire the, uh, the, veto, the veto pen and the... Uh, the sign into law pen of the executive branch, right? And, and just listen to me for a second. Any laws that the legislature branch want to pass, they got to send it to us. 
and our voter approval will be either the veto pen or the sign into law pen. Then the executive branch will be in charge of enforcing that law. I think that's a game changer. And also, even give the power of the of the executive branch, if they want to pass a law, whatever the case is, they got to present it to the voters. And then we just and then on top of that, we also have the ability to put our own initiatives on the ballot and pass our own laws and ratify our own amendments as well. You know what I mean? So it's it's going from a complete representative democracy to a direct democracy. Every single like everything that they want to do, they gotta they gotta pass it by us first. You want to send weapons to some other country, but okay, you well you gotta ask us first. You want to go and do this stuff over here and, and do an economic sanction? You got to ask us first, like every single step of the way. You know what I mean? So I'm talking about completely transforming the way we run, the, the way this government is run. But of course, you know, starting at the state level or whatever. But that's that's my big idea. <laughs> and I'll go get that GoFundMe put up. <laughs> Okay, awesome. That, was so, it. that that actually sounds pretty interesting, um, Roger. Be easy. Anything else before we head out? Yeah. So I'll. Uh, I know it's late, so I'll I'll get this real quick because I know you were you did a segment on uh, Charlemagne. Charlemagne uh, should be charlatan, the fraud, because <laughs> anyone that's listening to him. Man, uh, you know you gotta uh, <laughs> you gotta reavow reevaluate you know your iq because even someone that's not politically astute could see that the dude is bsing he's on one hand and you are absolutely right uh sabby he got that call because he was he was saying stuff with his whole chest and not even a week later this is what buck breaking is it's not only physical it's psychological and it's financial and spiritual as well psychologically he seemed just like defeated, like a lame duck commentator. He's acting like he's pushing back against Joe Biden. He's a shitty uh, candidate, but Trump is the end of democracy. So that all that is is a vote blue no matter who argument. He's making the vote blue no matter who argument, just like Kyle Kalinske and everyone, but they're trying to say it in a way that's more appeasing to you and even if he doesn't want joe biden he's advocating for another democrat so even if he's railing against joe biden he's still trying to sheep herd you to the democratic party so um and then also it's very offensive and anti-black when i hear people that are some of the most brilliant minds you know uh politically um you know like um i know you had a Arami on there, Arami Ose Frimpong, uh, Darity, um, you know, even if you want to go with Cornell West, even the people that would you you would be considered controversial, uh, um, you know, like Tariq Nasheed or Umar Johnson, they'll have someone controversial on like Tucker Carlson and Tim Pool who has said a bunch of racist stuff and and they'll interview them and not have them. So if you have uh, these people on, you can have these other people on and ask them about some actual political, um, you know, some people with actual political acumen versus always going to rappers and hip hop. Remember, uh, Bernie and Biden went to Cardi B. Like, come yep. on, 
know, so that that was extremely disrespectful. And if people are non-black and and they are our allies, which unfortunately groups don't really have allies, they have interests. I wish it wasn't like that, but that's how it is. Individually, you know, we have some people we can come together with, but collectively, we are, uh, you know, we are not there yet because there should be other groups calling this out too. Like, right, if I see, um, you know, a, a, a racist white person being racist toward or hateful towards other white people, I'd be like, man, I love white people. You know what I mean? Like, you need to chill with that. Kind of like how Sabi will moderate the discussion. Hey, don't, you know, generalize this. Where are the allies of ours that will say, hey, like, black people are my allies like why are you talking to them like they're dumb why are you pandering to my allies like that you never hear that but then when it comes to someone else's issue then it's like here uh dr martin luther king was a zionist here dr martin luther king would have supported palestine whether he would have or not it's like you're trying to hijack uh you know black pain and activism and um you know, like grassroots efforts to suit your cause. And then someone is just saying, hey, could you just say anything about the causes that we're fighting for? We already support all the universal policies. Could you speak up any way? Could you, you know, because like if we are the only ones to call out Candace Owens, right? Like if Candace Owens says something black, where's the allies to say, damn, Candace Owens, why are you speaking about black people like that? So, you know, if we want to see some things start going forward, we need to call out all injustices. It's like, imagine saying, I can't call for a ceasefire and an end to occupation in Palestine because I'm not Arab or I'm not Muslim. That doesn't make any sense. So you don't need to be black to say like, hey, you know, uh, you know, reparations is old. Even if you don't support reparations, is there any policy that will uplift black people that you support? Because then you can start there. Um, and then um, and then even when you look at like a lot of people would be you would think they would be your allies. They're considered left. Right. David Pakman, Kyle Kalinsky, Cenk Uger. You know, I'm just like being a little facetious when I'm saying these names, but these people, they purport themselves to be left, but they're left until it's reparations, progressive until it's reparations. None of these people, and all of them would say that they're allies. We support all of the policies that they support, but they don't even really support one policy that will specifically help us. So we got to call out these people. and, And if you are an ally, you do need to prove it. And I'll land with this. If, if someone is saying, hey, ceasefire in Palestine, that's the bare minimum. It's almost like screaming Black Lives Matter and having a Black Lives Matter shirt, but you don't care about redress or repair or any restitution for the Black community. That's not solidarity. That's not unity. And that's not advocacy. If I'm calling for, instead of a ceasefire, a humanitarian pause, how is that advocacy? How is that an ally? A ceasefire is the bare minimum. It's supposed to be ceasefire in the occupation reparations. That's how you truly support the Palestinians if you're for that. But many people are doing a political grift where they don't truly support the Palestinians. They just want to be out there. I were out in some of these protests. Um, 
in Oakland, at the port, um, in San Francisco. We've been having massive protests out here. I've been out there. Some people are serious. Other people are just out there as a social gathering. So people got to uh, be communicating. And if you're going to be an ally, be a genuine one. Stop with all the grifting. I'll land with that one. Thank you so much Sabrina, for letting me speak. Sabrina, by the way, I just want to I just want to ask this real quick. Well, it's not asked, but I saw this, you know, there's a lot of black people, older black women in Harlem that are through with the Democrat Party. No, I did not know that. I was watching. Um, I got. I inter- told you I had five minutes. Okay. okay. I was just watching an interview that uh, Larry Sharp was doing with this woman, uh, Latina Brown, I think her name was. Right. And she's like a tenant person, a tenant leader or something like that. And she was talking about like when she goes, she says the black people in Harlem, especially like the older ones or whatever, they said if they if you come to them talking about oh, this person, I'm trying to this progressive, they slam the door in your face. You know, they they'd be like, I love you, but I'm not fucking with Democrats no more. I'll send you the I'll send you the link. But it it was pretty interesting. That's interesting. That's pretty cool to hear. All right, guys, I do have to head out. Thank you so much for hanging out with me tonight, but it is past Sabby bedtime. Sabby got to go. Bye-bye. Bye. Good morning. I'd like to all just take a moment to to honor the demise of Vivek's campaign. <laughs> How do <laughs> I say goodbye <laughs> to yesterday? Bye, guys. Later.